Welcome to Waypoint After Dark, Stranger Things Season 4 edition, or I guess Stranger Things 4, uh, however they do this. Uh, Volumes uh, 1 and 2. God. <laughs> Usually we record these late at night, but I'll be honest with you here, I am trying to keep on a regular sleep schedule, and Patrick's unleashed hours. They're just, Patrick, they're just too late for me these days. Uh, your, your unleashed dad time, uh, you know, that... That all that drinking after ten, going to bed <laughs> after eleven, uh, that's just not me these days. I, I no, have a dog to walk be, at six thirty. <laughs> yeah, no children in this house. I'm just up till three a.m. just just grinding. I uh, yeah. I look my 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 poodle melts when the when the temperature is like above eighty five. So like at this point now, I'm just like the sun is barely breaking the horizon. I'm like, all right, let's go for your big walk. So you'll be fucking bearable the rest of this day um oh because you can otherwise only get away with like the bathroom stuff but not any of the energy depletion right. of the dog right she'll go outside and like you know she doesn't understand like if it was hot earlier it's it's still gonna be hot mina like <laughs> like we we just went outside and you were you were miserable you're like want to go back inside like and now you're back at the door being like maybe it's good now it's not <laughs> i promise We didn't we didn't fix the climate uh, in between us going outside. Well, we're not going to. So yeah. <laughs> you're talking about to get used to it. Uh, so so, yeah, so uh, we're, we're actually recording. It's still kind of waypoint after dark because I have the shades pulled down tight uh, to, to sort of retain some cool air here. Uh, How warm is it? It's warm here, but not it's like, it's like a normal like July warm as opposed to. OK. Yeah, it's I think it's 90 outside. The humidity's not too bad. My where I was in over my vacation uh down in South Carolina. Now that was I've experienced humidity, Rob. I've not experienced capital H humidity where just the moment you wake up at Dude. six in the morning, all day, all night is just you're just just buckets. There of sweat. was a I, period where I was going down to uh, North Carolina a fair bit, and I had some friends who like you know. It, I mean, it feels like it's all exurban sprawl out there. They're in like the Triangle yeah. area and different par- parts of it. But um, I had, like uh, a friend who sort of lived in some woods they kind of developed, and it was like, I don't know why you like. What's good about this? Like the 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 <laughs> woods were alive with mosquitoes. Uh, oh my the mosquito the humidity I, was just oh. unbearable like dawn to dusk so it was like you go you open your door and you get like a face <laughs> full of mosquitoes and like a hot dog's breath of of like fresh air and that's like it's just like that for like six months of the year uh, and then you get hurricanes yeah yeah the, this, we were in uh, a spot called Hilton Head which is like northeast yeah. of savannah georgia um uh part of my family has some some spots out over there and uh the mosquito i mean I, I, apparently according to folks who are them were often the mosquitoes are particularly bad although they are bad in general but like the place we were renting had a part of the reason we got it was because there was a pool connected to it it was you could see it from the window so like you uh as soon as you wake up and the kids say it's seven in the morning i want to go swimming it's like you can you can do that here. Well, like the first day we were there, I go to like walk the little path, uh, you know, like 50 feet to get to that pool. And it's in 
like a little bit of brush and I didn't realize how bad the mosquitoes were and I didn't quite know how to open the gate to get there. And in like the 30 seconds, my two children were waiting. Like I watched like the, the like the bats or whatever they're, I don't know what the bat, like whatever they are in Stranger Things, like those kind of like bat equivalents, like <laughs> the swarm that you start seeing towards the end of this season, like descended upon my child's legs. And I just saw like five or six of them feasting upon her and I'm like just like slapping them she's crying I'm trying to get this gate open I eventually just pick them up and put them over the gate and tell them to walk near the pool and get, get, and get away from them it was I I was with you I was like this is uh, an interesting different way to do a vacation we ended up having a great time but also who does this every day all day couldn't be me <laughs> no no and the people who chose they were like I you know I, I mm-hmm. love this climate and I guess you just get used to anything but uh, especially if you are prone to mosquitoes, which my kids are, I am not. But my wife is, though she is made of candy. Like yeah. Her blood is just yeah. incredible. Like she will, uh, in the spring or fall, you will know when, like you'll look around and be like, summer is not anywhere close. Spring is not anywhere close. But then the first mosquito will arrive and like my wife will get bitten by it it'll be december and like the last mosquito that hasn't been taken by the bitter cold will find her um yeah no this this is i i think i'm a bit the same way where like uh a couple years ago i was with family and everyone's having a wonderful time out in the the (laughs) yard in the evening hanging out by the campfire and i'm just like Ah, get it off me <laughs> and I'm like can we please move this inside and it's like no it's such a beautiful night and it's like mm-hmm. I'm basically the bug zapper except being the bug zapper in this case means the bugs flock to me and like use me to fuel up the reproductive like capacity uh, yeah I've I, you know I, I, I've plenty of times in our house like a, a sliding glass you know or a screen door gets left open some mosquitoes get in and you track them down like, especially at night, like when like they buzz near like a, a lit near TV or something like that. So I've smashed my share of mosquitoes in the in, in, in my day. But at this place we were staying, you had to be religious about shutting everything because I, I swear to God, every single I probably smashed 10 mosquitoes in my hand. And every time I did it, like squishing a pocket yeah, full of dude, blood. And I was yes. like, fuck, that means somebody was feasted somebody on. Got got. And like we would have to. Like inspect the rooms before we went in to sleep because otherwise everyone would wake up with like three bites or like this little mosquito is like mm, buffet in yum, front yum, of yum, me yum, for yum, the yum. next six to yep. seven hours. Yep. Uh, yeah. No, it's that's that's not for me. Um, but I suppose going to the topic at hand is Stranger Things mm. season four uh, for me for us. Um, and I and I suppose to start this off, where have What's your arc been with Stranger Things? I adored the first season. Yeah. Um, loved it from top to bottom. Like, you know, uh, like tonally, the characters, like the homage, like, you know, Spielberg's one of my favorite directors. Like that era of Spielberg is like one of my favorite eras. It's what I grew up on. And so they like ticked every box of nostalgia. But I thought even more so. You know, and this is like the eternal question over Stranger Things, which I, which I just I, I don't agree with the premise that it is just a nostalgia wheelhouse mm-hmm. and it succeeds only on those merits. I I think it uses that as like a conversational piece and a tone piece. But I I think the strength of the show is it's like 
characters and the dynamics between them. And that that ends up carrying like different bouts of good and bad storytelling. But at its core, I think it has like a really incredible group of characters that I'm essentially willing to <laughs> watch them do whatever, even if I'm not necessarily interested in the stakes around them at, at all times. But like, I love season one. I think it's genuinely one of the better things I've seen, like in the last decade. Um, uh, season two, I just don't remember very much about, you know, I like the introduction of characters, right? Like, like season four isn't nearly as good unless Max is introduced in season two, right? right. They, I think a really strength of the series is introducing new characters and um, that, you know, you know, we can talk about how that works to its detriment when the cast gets extremely sprawling by season four. But I do think it's a testament to this, the series that as it goes on, it always seems to introduce like really interesting dynamic characters. Um, season three, I thought was not like a 10 out of 10, but like a strong return to form, like especially with the introduction of uh Oh, was uh, Maya Hawk? Like she was just like a, a tremendous force in season three, and I liked the character arcs in season in season three. In season four, I think the where I landed on it. Um, I don't. Let me see if I can find what I wrote. Uh, semi drunk after I had finished volume two. Uh, here we. Oh, here's more. my profile. Uh, the, yeah. The latest season of Stranger Things was too long, poorly paced, and utterly transparent in its plot twists. I gave no shits, wished it was longer, cried frequently, and cannot wait for the final season. I loved every minute. Which is like, do I agree with the criticism that it is overly indulgent, like, wildly mispaced, and, like, overly long? All, all the criticisms. I'm with you. I think you're right. Did I care all that much when I watched it? Not really. And, and like that, that's kind of where I end up with the series as a whole is like, I do think it is like wildly overindulgent and poorly paced and like the stakes aren't always clear, but the characters work so well for me that, and the mythology is sort of, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I'll just watch these characters for seasons on end and they find enough interesting parts to their arcs that uh, like I'll, I'll be back. Yeah. I, um, so oddly enough, I actually liked season two more than three uh, was was mm. where I was at. And I think part of it was, I mean, one, I'm just an autumn guy, you know, so I liked like mm. the whole vibe like that one is is against the backdrop of Halloween again. Uh, it's it's that's where we're in the Ghostbusters outfits. And everything. I don't think I dislike no. season two as much as part of the thing with Stranger Things is that it's ta- it's, ta- it's taken so long for the seasons to come out. Yeah. That in some ways, I've just forgotten some of the, the beats of two because two is like a lot of. Hopper and Eleven's relationship getting established, yeah. like, which is really good. Um, right. It's anyway, got Sean Astin. Um, and it, it has, yes, like, it, it does have Sean a, Astin. A pretty good, like, action set piece as they, like, raid the lab at the center of town uh, and, like, have to fight their way out of there with the, with the, uh, monsters like pouring out and they eat. He gets, he gets, he gets got by one of the dogs. He gets got right? it's, Yeah. It's, 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 it's nasty. <sighs> um, Season three was the for me, that was the season where I was like, I'm not sure the resources they are getting access to is, are making them better as creators like that entire season. <laughs> like, look at this fucking mall we built. And, <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I guess and I guess because I grew up in a mall, I looked at that and went, look at this fucking mall. They built. <laughs> oh, I mean, look, it totally worked on me where like, OK, back up real quick. I think I, we can uh-huh. all recognize now malls were great. They were great. Like the strip mall. Outdoor malls, not the same. Outdoor malls are just stores next to each other that you've chosen to call a mall 
because a mall like culturally signifies something to a certain set of people of a certain age and demographic. But that's not a mall. A mall is a metropolis. A mall is a place that I, as a teenager, can get into some shenanigans by hanging out in a store for too long. And then I go to the next one. Yeah. And like tons of a mall is a sabaro yeah tons of stores places to hang like lots of like places to peer in at like basically like you can it's it's frustrating that like downtowns across the country were killed but the mall like did a decent job of like being a facsimile of hey like you know yes. there used to be all these small shops like uh you know in in the place where you live now you can go to a place and recreate the experience of wandering downtown uh like going from shop to shop it felt it felt this thing if you lived in if you grew up in suburbia yeah like, when you and, you and you were too you know and you weren't going to the city all that often which is you know most kids growing up in suburbia like that was your city like that was your metropolis like was was the mall yeah um and so like I like I I have tons of nostalgia for it and like that part of it did work uh like the completely indulgent Max and Eleven shopping spree uh bit I was like yeah those are the <laughs> days right um. But at the same time, the entire aspect of like the mall has been occupied by the Russians. It's all a front. Oh, uh, the the yeah. entire introduction of the whole like comical Ruskies angle of it uh, didn't really work. But also, just the, the whole season just felt like uh, there was a lot of resources being thrown at something that never felt like it was very convincing or menacing. It was it was a very uh, cutesy look at me season is kind of how it felt. Um, well, and, and I think like more generally, like as the series goes on, like I, I am sure that I don't think the, I think the Duffer brothers are like uh, the, the two brothers that like created the series and, and, and write, yeah. I think most, if not all of the scripts, uh, like I, I believe them when they say they have broad strokes of where they wanted things to go. But the explosion of this series meant that there's a certain like wheel spinning that happens. And, you know, it's a bit of like, well, got to be in Hawkins again. And uh, like, how can we create another dilemma for these like same characters to deal with, like mostly on their own? And I think that they try to get more mileage out of that by introducing new characters that they go along and they can extract quite a bit out of that. But ultimately, like without some sort of stakes of an end game, which like season four gets a little bit into, like it does sort of like rise and fall on like the like some of the aesthetic trappings and like how much how much that does for you um season to season which i think explains maybe a little bit of what you're talking yeah. about in seasons 2 and 3 I, and i think i i'll just say this i think season 3 people have a very different reaction to if joe Keery and maya hawk don't basically put that piece of shit on their back oh, the, yes 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 just like hey do you want to see some awesome uh like buddy comedy energy uh, like to to carry this through, We're, we got you. But I mean, I think I think that is like a nice summation of like what makes Stranger Things tick as like an entire story, like as a thing, yeah. right? Like everything about Stranger Things popularity is it cannot be distilled down to just nostalgia because like the TikTok generation that is obsessed with it does not give a shit about these kids riding bicycles because it was in ET, right? Like that like that means nothing to them. And so but the like season three hinging on those two characters having just an unbelievable um charisma with one another. The one that they establish in uh in each season that like they sort of 
find those little duos or trios that a lot of like, yeah. well, you may not be interested in the beats that were going on, but like, aren't these characters really like fun to hang out with as they go along with the beats? And that is the show. The show is just like, do you want to hang out with these people? Like be funny and witty and then feel sad when they go in danger, but know that like, they're probably not going to die. Like it's just a hangout show in a lot of ways. And if you don't, if you can't vibe on that, then you're going to start falling back to traditional critiques, which I'm not even disagreeing with. But like, if you're looking at stranger things, like, geez, I don't know about the plotting. And it's like, buddy, there were structural faults in season one and they just got worse as they got more overindulgent. And at that point, it's just the fact that the characters have hung on and worked long enough is basically why it's continued to like work for me. Um, even as like the plotting stuff. No, I was, I think they, I think they find better footing with the Russian stuff in like this season. Um, right, yeah. uh, than, than it was in season three. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I broadly agree with you of how they were. I know the commies and they got guns, uh, bit in season three was a little. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I think like what you mentioned there about this is a show that kind of runs on chemistry and who has it with each other. Kind of like the show has evolved to sort of play up good combos of characters. People who are fun, engaging to watch. But the problem is, as it's gone along, I think season four. Now we're really seeing the fruits of that where there's some there's some like rosters that they love. Like this is a great lineup. These people rule. And then there's characters who just, you know, as you've gotten so many good new actors and characters in the story, some of the original cast, I just don't, where do we put them? What do we do with these people? And Stranger Things season four's answer is like, we're going to maroon some of them on like C-plot island. (laughs) Like we, like there are some characters that we're just like, put them on the dumpster uh, we'll get to them. Like, hey, you're still part of it. You're super important somehow, Finn. Uh, you know, uh, Will. You guys are yeah. Both Mike and yeah. Mike and Will are basically given like nothing to do. Like, Will is given especially short shrifts, you know. And like, I don't. Well, and there, I did I, I didn't feel great about about like the easier, you know, the, the how they handled like his sexual identity, like throughout like the like the show. I. <laughs> I mean, they just don't know what to do with those characters because they they're, they're not funny. Right. Like and I think like so much if you look at what works in season four and as the show goes along, like it's so reliant on comedic dynamics between the characters to carry them to the dramatic yeah. moments because the dramatic moments can't exist. There's not enough there on their own, which is why things like, you know, Eleven and Brenner like that's one that that is one of the like where I do agree is like just fucking kill him like this arc was over seasons ago but they haven't given 11 enough of another well because they marooned hopper to a different part of the planet so it's like they gave 11 a replacement for papa you know if i have to hear papa again i fucking like take me out but uh like it like Eleven's not very funny, right? And so like she has to be, you know, like and so much of the show relies on like them discovering that, you know, uh uh like Dustin and Steve like are extreme like extremely good together and like seem like the type that when you're watching their sequences, you kind of want to just hang out on set with them. Like you're watching one exchange, but like, man, they must have just done this for hours and had a great time with one another, which is like a lot of the vibe of the show. Yeah, and I, and I think that is 
where where the show has struggled is when you like when it is trying to it like play to some new strengths it's got or integrate some new characters and then also is dealing with the fact that like fundamentally first season it's about a group of friends searching for their lost friends and a small group of like teenagers and adults around them and now we're many years later and like the thing about child actors is some of them actually do turn out to be great actors most of yeah. them don't uh by and large most of them will end up being like good at doing some things but not everything you want an actor to do so you got like limitations of range um you know the harry potter movies struggled famously with this like there was just some there, there were yeah. some parts of that cast that were uh really able to grow up and into the roles and and some people that uh weren't as helpful uh, as they'd been in the earlier films i think this is dealing with a bit of that but the solution they they arrive at is to just bury some stories and so i think for me like the big issue with the season is there is such a clear almost feels like there were so many points where i was like oh man do we have to go back to this fucking plot i don't know can we just can we stick with this this group of people and for me the big one you've already alluded to it but um you know in the setup for the season because they they fractured the 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 community at the end of season three hop is three 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 plots yeah hop is teleported to a gulag uh which by the way like i guess that's their get out of (laughs) get out of jail free is ironic here uh but it did seem to solve all the problems they created with him just being an abusive alcoholic for an entire season just out of the fucking blue (laughs) Um, which is not to say like, yeah, sometimes alcoholism just fucking gets you like that. Yeah, I get it. Believe me. But, but it was a bit one note for the character. Yeah. And then ever, and, and then nobody seemed to know how fucked up it was. Like the season three is also like, <laughs> man, hops just so funny and like angry and like grumpy. And I'm like, no, he is an abusive and unreliable parent who is scary to be around. And they sort of solved that by like, well, now he now he is in Russia. Uh, (laughs) So. So he he ends up there. And so uh, like the buyer's family heads out to California, takes 11 with them since since Hop is gone. And so when we start the season, uh, you've got half the cast is now either in Russia or in California. And they never figure out, like, what they end up having happen is that the first episode, Mike goes out to California and ends up in this plot isolated, first with Eleven, but mostly with Jonathan Byers, uh, Will, and their new stoner friend, uh, the the Poochie of season four. Um, (laughs) He has one good moment. I will get, like... In in volume two, I forget which episode it was, but when they go to visit the other pizza place to put Eleven in to, like, their makeshift cooler, and he has the conversation with the other pizza guy. Like, it's the one time, like, that character was funny when he was introduced, and then it became clear, oh, they don't, like, there's nothing else. Like, they're just going to play this one song again, because they thought it was really funny in the editing room, and then this guy's just going to talk the exact same way, and I was like, oh... Yeah, it's okay. it's like we like do you do you like the stoner comedies? Great. Uh but that's that's basically all they have to do with 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 that character. It's it 
it's frustrating. But I think it's because it's because they can't actually. The appeal of the show is being around these characters, right? And so they kind of function like they kind of push themselves into a corner in which what people want is to see other characters bouncing off one another, and then that means you can't really sideline them for very long. And I think that also is then the result of like the like pacing and editing issues. Like the Russia arc is like an episode. Like, right? Like, maybe, like, a, an extended one one episode. But they the don't want Winona Ryder, like, Joyce Breyer to, <clears throat> like, solve this puzzle with Hopper in, like, an episode. Like, we want to be coming back to her. So we got to really dole out, like, how are they getting here? What's a setback before? You know, like, they have to make it a season-long arc, even though, like, Joyce doesn't have an arc. Like, she wanted to fuck Hop at the end of season three, and then at the end of season when four, he was at like, his least fuckable, thinking about fucking, <laughs> yeah. And uh, like those characters, like make no, they make physical movement, but no emotional movement because they just need to them to exist in stasis for the rest of the story to for you know the season to end where they can just end where they began back in Hawkins um, and like in, in a, like a slightly expanded season one dynamic. But I think that's what the show really runs into. Like I can. You can almost see like a fan edit of the season that just like, look, what if we just turn the prison thing into like, you would put it towards the end, right? And just make it one season and you could tease it a little bit all along the way. But it's like these episodes became so bloated because, well, here's another 20 minutes in Russia with this one unreliable airplane guy that we got to go back to over and over again. Yep. Yep. It God, that shit like got. Uh, old as hell too uh where it's like oh yuri oh, in soviet russia smuggler traps you and, like <laughs> it, it absolutely like it's not that funny to begin with uh it's a stock character and then it's like the same like cycle of like man we can't trust this guy he's a treacherous little fuck uh and we're just gonna loop that uh again and again and they give him a redemption arc at the end fuck him like i i i did not that was completely unnecessary no dude like yeah like you're you're there you're there in a soviet prison uh there's there's <laughs> makarov pistols everywhere and uh like tiled basements you know what to do that's what that's what you didn't, didn't really need the helicopter at the end i mean you know you got uh hopper with the Seemingly wholly unnecessary sword sword fight that looked admittedly cool as shit. But like, if you spent any time thinking about it, it was like, has he held a sword before? Like, dude, I was like, did they just bring the Witcher staff over for this? Like, it just like I feel like even like like the whole thing felt like like you put oil on it or something to to prepare. Like, it was a ridiculous fight. But it, it felt, you know, when people say, and again, uh, it is overindulgent. It feels like the Duffer Brothers were like, hey, no, be cool. Uh, if you picked up a sword and bought a Demogorgon and they're like, put it, put it in. No notes, no notes needed. Yeah, that was, uh, it, it was, it's, it was such a slow developing plot. And it's also one that was so clearly expensive as hell. Right, uh, they built yes. their whole prison. Like you see these locations again and again. Well, I bet the sets would be cool as hell to walk around. Yeah, it's it, but it is just like 
he, there's an entire like they do a really involved multiple multi-episode arc to set up the first escape attempt and then another escape attempt and then oh no we got to go back to the prison and help the kids i know well cuz they need to set up the you know pretty bog standard like storytelling of like we want to do the cross cutting editing like towards the climax where we can have everyone going towards a similar goal and if they're not aware that their goals are aligning creating additional tension but because those plots are like happening at different speeds like you know like like most poignantly when you know uh nancy and and drew and them like get like sort of like hung up by vecna and then then the show cuts away for like 30 minutes where like it feels like it's in real time and that is a consequence of like the because they can't actually properly line things up but the way they've paced everything before it it ends up robbing I think, you know, the show manages to generate enough dramatic tension on its own to be effective, but I think it undercuts its ability to be even more effective because you're just like robbing literal tension from a scene where we're supposed to be, yes, I know these characters probably aren't going to die, but like in the moment you can feel anxiety over it and you just can't when you suddenly realize in the back of your head when you go to the bathroom as you're pausing the episode for the third time, like, it has been a long time since we've seen Nancy. Like, are they still getting like those tentacles are pretty strong? <laughs> yeah. But this, uh, this, I just want to point out this interview. I just when I was googling the sword, it's the same sword used by Arnold Schwarzenegger in Conan the Barbarian. See now that doesn't that feel like the Duffer Brothers got high and were like, you know, it'd be cool. Like, I think I think we can get that prop. <laughs> And they're like, who's going to tell us no? Like, put it in the Netflix budget. Their subs haven't dropped yet. <laughs> we are we we conned people into subscribing for two months for this thing because uh, of our little one-month yes. gap uh, between... They claimed it was the VFX stuff, which could actually be true, but it... Because I feel like if you were actually going to split it up, it was like an, such an awkward way to split the seasons. Oh, yeah. Like, it didn't... It wasn't, it wasn't particularly clean. Like, I almost buy the story that... That, like literally the episodes weren't finished and Netflix said, fuck it. Like we have a quarterlies coming up. We need to drive subs, put out the episodes uh, that you, that you have. Well, I mean, um, it, like it's hard not to look at that structure in the context of like Netflix having just one dire earnings call after another, where it's like, turns out growth yes. is not infinite. Uh, and our strategy of raising prices on people and pistol whipping them uh, until they stop sharing uh, logins with family. Uh, weirdly enough, it's depressing interest in the service. Um, <laughs> but like, I think you you sort of put your finger on something else there, which is that structurally, this season's just kind of, and I don't mean in terms of just the overall plot arc, but I mean like the episode runtimes are long. And sometimes it's just that, okay, they are clearly, they're not getting edited very much. If they want an episode to be like, you know, hour, 20 minutes, they can just do that. But there were places. Netflix, Netflix, it's one of the worst, like, impulses Netflix has allowed creatives uh, was, like, the, 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 I understood the appeal of streaming being like, hey, you don't have to do the 42-minute format anymore. Like, you have some leeway to do an actual hour, but, like. One of the consequences of that has just been and Stranger Things is a really good example of how that gets out of control is just, you know, the editing exists for it's yeah. it's an art form. It is it is not there just to hit, you know, 42 minutes like less is more is frequently a, a, a superior product. Well, 
and then but then there were also places where it was like this episode is two hours long and i just look at it and it's like no that's just three episodes stapled together why did you do this like so well that's what the, that's what the, that's what the finale is like I was, I was talking to kato uh earlier when we were in a meeting and he had mentioned he was they were they'd almost finished the new season and he didn't realize that the last one was two hours and 30 minutes and i said well i mean it is and it isn't it's actually 90 minutes and then there's an hour epilogue and they just copied and pasted them because making a third episode like the epilogue like is like a less exciting thing for people to click on also really would have highlighted Um, how little happens in that hour-long like roundup Right. It was a very, it's a, it's very Return of the Kingish. It's like, what? We got another, like, another slow mo reunion, which, you know, admittedly, even as I critique it, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, four drinks in and I'm getting, I'm crying <laughs> no. as Hopper comes out. Like, that's the, that's the thing with strange. Like, that is the, like, this show works for me on such a, like, primal emotional level. And I've so bought into the characters that there are, uh, Sometimes there are series or just media or stories like you just can't rationally think about like Stranger Things. Like I can sit here and have the intellectual academic yeah. conversation about its editing. And I'm just like, you told me that episode was three hours and 30 minutes. Like that's you know what? I guess it had to be. I guess it had to be. And like, let's just watch some more <laughs> Eleven rip down another helicopter in slow motion. Uh, I guess she needs to talk to Papa for another 40 minutes about. Was he doing he was the dead. right thing Patrick, by her? I thought he was dead. I was like, wasn't there that whole like soft pilot for an Eleven series where she was off in Chicago fucking shit up? Like, mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. Papa just get straight up killed at some point? And here he was. And I was like, why are you here? Why are you still Papa? <sighs> just give it to Paul Reiser, man. He's, He's good, good at the show. I he I I just like Paul Reiser in yeah. general, and his character is really fun and. He's just an actor you just don't see yeah. in many things these days. And so it's kind of delightful to see him in a show like this. Like every time he was in a scene, he's not like a scene stealing character, but he's just he's an actor that I I just enjoyed every time he was on screen in this. Also, is he still left in that? Like, like last we saw la- like this, this, we didn't die. And I guess whatever commander, you know, whatever is like that part of the, the government that is anti 11. Um uh, is he is is but he was he was left like tied to like the bottom of that <laughs> one of that like that agency or whatever they were in towards the well other. so i yeah i mean my vibe is the the shitty evil colonel is still uncertain enough that he's on the right side of this that like he's hesitating and given that yeah. like five minutes later you could argue that they're all proven right <laughs> like pretty thoroughly uh yeah. like Hey, that disaster that's happening, Hawkins, it, it happened. Now you'd say, well, it, you know, it's because Levin got loose, but uh yeah, I don't know. I, I <laughs> oops, oops, the oops, the earth has ripped apart in several places. Wonder if things Dude, are going it, wrong. It is in so funny. Like the the they end up this is the other weird thing is where the season ends. Every other season it was a bit like the characters have all in their own ways fallen into like well into the upside down become aware of it become aware that there's this like other world uh and this like breach into like everyday reality with like creatures like magic and shit and now they fully just like literally ripped that open 
like the hell mouth is open, like cutting across the, the, the Hawkins, Indiana. And there's like creepy upside down mold blowing through like fucked up snowstorm uh, in, in the town. So like that whole, the, the conceit that sort of held them together for multiple seasons here of all this wacky shit being kind of invisible to the normies in the town. And then they get to, they get, they, you know, essentially try to adopt the structure of like, we're going to go through a year of school and then like, you know, the evolutions that go along with that, you know, socially, physically, psychologically. And then they also have the up, down, upside down stuff to give it like the goofy, you know, the, the fun sci-fi stuff. Uh, they lose some of that because just the kids age so quickly. The seasons took so long, yeah. but yeah, it does leave the final season in a, in a weird spot in terms of like, I just don't even know what the structure is because there's nothing to hide behind anymore like the upside down is no longer upside down like we've we've, we've mushed the two together so i want to dip into some questions because i think some of these questions are just things that set us up nicely to talk about different aspects of the show and uh yeah um this isn't here but uh i have a question from patrick rob do you know what uh vecnacy is no hold on i'll just read this from popbuzz.com even anywhere near the internet lately you'll know that Vecnacy is a portmanteau for Vecna and pussy. Stans have essentially taken the phrase, she put her whole pussy into this, meaning she did something very well, and edited to apply directly to their faves. Uh, in this video for Netflix, Jamie, the actor who plays Vecna, reacts to a viral video of TikTok star Jack Ryan dressing up as Henry Creel and booty popping with the caption, Pops Vecnacy. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> That's exciting. That's exciting new information. <laughs> yeah. I do recommend you don't strike me uh, as as a TikTok browser, other than like stuff that like comes through Twitter. Um, it is worth like the one of the Stranger Things memes um, currently is people just <laughs> pretending to have their bones broken and this the way that Vecna does in increasingly like. <laughs> wild ways and it like my tiktok is a combination of like uh like animals and children and then i need to make a separate tiktok account so like my kid can search through it with me and we can laugh at like goofy animal videos but then like occasionally i'll make the mistake of like searching a hash i was like i'm gonna search for stranger things stuff and see what's on tiktok and then it just like comes through (laughs) it's like here's a here's a kitten like falling off of a chair and then (laughs) here's someone shout shouting vecnacy as we're (laughs) as we're sitting in bed (laughs) going to go to sleep (laughs) jesus christ yeah. Um, anyway, what's yeah. what, do you, what do you got? So uh, thanks for getting these questions uh, from our listeners. Uh, one question came in. Thought and, thoughts and opinions about Eddie. Or actually, why does the character archetype of the nerdy alternative kid get killed off in media so much? My thought is the inherent queer coding of the character uh, and, and the ever-present bury your gaze trope uh, that cishets don't let die. So let's take two parts of this. I, I think Eddie, how he's introduced... Uh, you know, he he is sort of the king of the nerds uh, at, at their high school. And I like the character of Eddie a lot, um, in part because Eddie is so close to a number of my friends in mm-hmm. high school and in some ways very close to me. Um, like the whole thing, he is so bad and checked out of school that he is like 
failed to graduate multiple times. <laughs> I cannot tell you how close I came to not graduating high school on time. Really? Dude, it came down to me begging a math teacher. I was like, dude, I got to get out of here. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, you don't come to class. I haven't seen you in like three weeks. You just leave school. And <laughs> me being like, yeah, I know. And that's that's my bad. But like, I can't. I'm working like, on it. I need to get out of here, man. And he was like, you do need to get out of here. And I got to get out of here. He quit teaching the next year. Uh, <laughs> and so he just gave me the gentleman C. Uh, and like I graduated, but I I think it I like, was like I, I wonder if maybe it was, was someone that you had the you were honest enough to ask and like sort of beg as opposed to I don't know just letting it go, never showing up, and him just like failing without never having a conversation. It's it's hard to like when I think back to that. My senior year is one of those things where it's like. I was so just done with school and so pissed off that I was still there that like mm-hmm. I just went to basic like just open mutiny. And Were it was like one of those college or is just like I'm just done I'm just with done. this existing structure. Okay. I yeah, I, I just didn't I didn't want to be there anymore. Didn't want to like was sit like there were things I liked. There were people I liked, but for the most part, I was just I felt like it was clocking in for like eight hours a day to do shit i just absolutely did not care about and wasn't Mm -hmm. like i was like i know this i know that i'm getting nothing out of this right like i know that there's no value in me taking these classes at this point Um, that was college for me because i already knew i was like i already know i'm gonna get a job at a place like one up so it's like at least there i like friends and like partying to counterbalance it but the classes were just none of like this doesn't mean anything to like my career prospects so yeah. uh i'm just gonna you know what nobody checks your grades in well, uh, out of college so i'm just gonna get like a c c plus b minus and just <laughs> move on with well and see life. that's the thing right like i had done this at a point where like it really fucked up my ability to get in colleges well, like, the thing, high, mean, school, high school you you can't do that or you yeah. shouldn't do that college you what you're there just whatever you oh, need yeah. to do just get to the other side but like so when i look at eddie and like who he represents a bunch of me and my friends were in a really similar boat of yeah. just like being in real danger of just having like your life put on hold while you had to like check off these boxes and like show you'd gotten an education at a place right. that was like not effectively speaking to you at all. Uh, and the fact that within that he's sort of seen as like, a loser weirdo, but he's also completely carved out a niche as like Lord of the nerds. And the show treats him with no condescension. The show thinks he is cool as hell. And even if it it presents the elements around him of like, what do other people think of it? Like there's, you know, stories that have similar character dynamics, but don't necessarily treat that group with, reverence right even if they are central to the story and like everything about stranger things like yeah the rest of the world might not get them but it treats them as the hero characters and like they're cool and like that they found each other that's cool and it celebrates that in a lot of different ways and with like and the fact that and that he's just not some i think in addition to that he's not some antisocial or like asocial like like embodiment of alienation and just like fandom, right? Like he's the opposite of the stoner character, right? Like that guy is not a character. He is just 
He's not even a plot device. He's just like a joke from the writer's room that they couldn't give up for whatever reason. Or they like the actor. I have no idea. But like Eddie could have been that because he is just the sacrificial lamb for the season. And I have like complicated feelings on like how he like goes out. But like he is Sean Astin's character. It's like, yeah, they, this show doesn't. It's funny because I've read interviews where Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven, has essentially called the Duffer Brothers pussies. They're like, they just won't kill anyone. Like, he's like, I text them every couple of months, like, kill me. I dare you. And they've responded with like, that's not what this show is. Like, they've, they've, they've said like up front, like, we're not like a game. We're not like ta- our lesson of Game of Thrones is not uh, like if you kill the, the main character, the story is stronger. They're like, we think people are watching because they want to watch these characters and they're willing to sacrifice what you lose as a result of not being able to put your characters in real danger and then get the benefits, at least from their perspective. And I, I kind of agree with them, um, although maybe not to the degree that they've arrived at, uh, of allowing all those characters to, to continue to be around uh, w- one another. But then you get characters like Eddie, but the difference with Eddie is, and this is, I think, a real strength of the show, is like he comes in fully formed. Like, yeah, he do- like immediately within an episode of like being around him, like, you feel like you know him and he fits in and he slots and he doesn't even come across. He does strike you even by the end. Like, I think this dude could survive. Maybe he is like yeah. the new Robin. And that's what I was kind of rooting for. I actually, I, man, I really, I don't want to step into other points. But it was like, I really was, root, I was kind of rooting for Steve to die. I really thought they had introduced Eddie as a Steve replacement so that Dustin had like, someone to emotionally be connected to. And if you remove Steve from the stranger things pile, like, yes, he would be missed, but I feel like it sets up so many emotional dominoes for the characters. I was like, I was like, that's why Eddie exists. He is going to be the new Steve. And this will devastate the entire group because every, even though Steve is set up as a douchebag in the show, when it opens, like he loves, everyone loves Steve by now. (laughs) Yeah. It's, no, I'm with you. I thought like I thought Eddie being there was hanging like the shadow of death on Steve. Yes. Uh, because he becomes kind of extraneous in a lot of ways. And then a lot of a season is him reexamining old mistakes and mm-hmm. like seeing like realizing that like, oh, shit, like he actually did love Nancy and like just kind of blew because he was a shithead when he met her uh, and now like can't undo that. And yeah, I sort of figured that like his whole thing has been to like be get super stuck in like trying to save the day and be the hero and i figured this time he would sort of go down doing that and right. eddie would be there uh the other thing so the things i really dig about eddie is um from the first uh like you sort of see what a comforting and sweet presence he is when he runs into chrissy in the woods while she's like mm-hmm. like suffering through her last day before vecna gets her and you you can sort of see that like Eddie is a peop- is a guy people like that Eddie is like you know reads the room and is really compassionate and uh like sensitive to how people are feeling and God the scene as he's realizing that like the odds of him surviving this next the 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 night are pretty bad when he's sort of telling Dustin you know never change never grow up like you stay yeah. you oh and, like, yeah, that's, that scene that, when they're on the hill is is so good. And like, to me, the way that reads, I think it's beautiful, is that like sort of him recognizing that like this is what he's going to get the passes for fatherhood in his life. Yeah. That like 
probably things are not going to go well. Uh, and he stands a real good chance of getting got and all this. And sort of like, and, 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 so, and, he, and he's, he's sort of hit on both sides, right? Even if he yeah. comes out of the upside down, just fine. Like the satanic panic thing, they said, like he's fucked. Like, yeah. like they're not going to, prosecute Vecna and and like clear him of, <laughs> right. of the charges like uh he's sort of screwed on both ends which is like the I guess the motivating factor for him to try and you know you know make the sacrifice that that he does but uh I'm with you that like that is that this really beautiful arc to the character of where where he ends up is is a, yeah feeling like this 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 parental figure that he will probably never actually be yeah um and I, yeah, I think that's that's like absolutely terrific stuff. And I, I think he's uh, he has chemistry with everybody. Uh, I, and I and I think genuinely also seems like a really cool DM. Uh, like his Dungeons and Dragon Dr- Dragons group seems fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> in in part because like he's operating in a mode of D and D where it was more like the the DM was there to fuck with you and try to kill you. Uh, that was that era mm-hmm. of D and D. Um. And he still makes that fun where he's like kind of rooting for the players, but also is like, man, like, you know, I got traps set for you. Uh, he's not, <laughs> he's not some character. Uh, and I was super bummed that he, he gets killed and, and often he gets killed doing something that, uh, you know, to your point about a lot of things being redundant in the season, he's already proven that he's not going to like cut and run on his friends multiple times, but here yet again, he has to do it yet. Like, to be like, no, what I need to do is hop on a bike and pedal real fast so the bat creatures can kill me all at once. Yeah, I don't um, think that he that, – that was my problem with how he – it was less – even though I wanted him to survive, but I understand that – I understand where the, why they arrive at – where they arrive at, but I just didn't buy – like, the sacrifice was unnecessary. Like, it, it, I don't think he saved anyone or did anything, and I didn't – didn't necessarily even track with the character wanting to do – a sacrifice in order to prove to himself. Like that's where they end up with those final lines is like, I didn't run away this time. Right. Like they want, you know, I, I, I see the character arc, but it was one of those moments where like, I just don't buy the event that led to it. Even if I buy why the character would do something like that. Um, I just didn't, yeah. it just didn't seem like it fit with like the actual stakes of, I, I don't necessarily see it as like a barrier gaze type thing, because for me, if like the gay coding on Eddie seems so subtle that like. I don't see him as especially coded, um, mm-hmm. I like I'm open to being like that. I'm completely oblivious to this stuff. Very likely that I am. But I would say Stranger Things is not subtle about this stuff like. Will is it's well, it's, well I, w- I will say it is beating you over the head with robin's like you know like sexual identity but will well, wait this season like, or third because season three i actually have some real i think season three the i guess re- i don't the, remember season three the reveal that she is gay is one of the most bonkers like the way they handle that is is like it is unreal <laughs> so the entire so season three she and she and steven do not tell me like that oh it's all about like Steve has protagonist syndrome or or thinks he's the main character like the entire season they've got this like rom com energy but also like buddy comedy energy whatever but a lot of like a lot of the through line with her is her being like fixated on Steve's love life and mm-hmm. also like referring to all the like 
all the various relationships he's had prior to now. And he falls for her. And at the end, like sort of begins to confess his feelings. And then her, the way she reveals this is no, I wasn't obsessed with you. I was obsessed with the girl you were dating. (laughs) And it's like, and it's like, but you, but you centered Steve in every one of these stories. Like, yeah. it's like one of those things where it's like, I got you because I said, you know, it's your expectations uh-huh. that led you astray, but not actually because everything the character said, like, fits into this template. And then they're just like, surpr- like, they, they turned her being gay into kind of a, like, plot twist. <laughs> uh, and so, like, that's one way they've handled it. And then the way they handle it in season four is Will in every scene is just like hand the note, like look like you're going to burst into tears uh, yes. every single second that Mike is around you and oblivious to your feelings. And, and the scene of the car is like legitimately heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, like it's a, it's a really effective moment, but it just feels like, I, I don't know. Like they go sort of like to one end with, Robin's character in season four is where she's like, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. Like I'm talking about how I'm gay. And then like, well, Will just needs to be like, we can't, we can't just get over the hump with him. And I realize the characters are in different places, but I think I could see a bit of like where this question is coming from. Where it's where it's like, well, Robin gets to at least finally get over there. And it's like this, the series is constantly talking about it. It's integrated into her plot. And it's like, well, if you view Eddie as queer coded, like it's never explicit. And yeah. then Will's whole arc is like, well, he's never going to get to kiss like the friend that he's fallen in love with. Um, and I could just see how that right could 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 add up to people as being like pretty annoying. I think and I think with the, the thing with it, again, speaking of things, they didn't have space to develop. I think they do this. OK, and it's it, it it's a really insightful and interesting thing they could do, which is. Robin is a queer woman living in Indiana in the 1980s. And so the situation she lays out to Steve in season four, where it's like, hey, like you ask girl out and she's like not a new, it's like no big deal. Like if it goes wrong for me, yeah, uh, it's dangerous and could be like life ruining. And so like a big thing for her is like she's got this. It's not insecurity in her own identity. But has to be really like is justifiably insecure about how people respond to that identity. And so they they start to get at this thing where like, how does she express interest in someone uh, when it'd be dangerous for both of them to sort of like, you know, put cards on the table. But th- they just don't have space to do that. And right. so it turns into a lot of Robin alluding to her sexuality and being like, I'm really pining after this girl in band. And then it's just kind of forgotten until the very end where it's like, oh, yeah, that chick's gay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, uh, for sure. And that like I just so that that's the one part with like the where Eddie sits in the in, in the story. Uh, if if he's like clearly queer coded, then hats off to them for like getting at least one characterization subtle enough that it's not a defining <laughs> trait this season yeah uh uh-huh. but uh i like uh, by and large I, I i loved uh eddie as a character the the fucking concert at the end of the world type thing oh my god like absolutely this is music <laughs> absolutely uh and, and again to, like as you've alluded to it's all this like good with a capital g i don't know 
Was no, it yeah. cool? Was it fun? Was I was I like yes. delighted and satisfied when they plugged in like the guitar into the amp and began shredding to lure in yes. the bats? Yes. Like yes, like they basically they got they got Netflix to give them money to produce a live action meatloaf album cover. <laughs> You're not wrong. That's a really good way. That's really because it's not dark enough to be an actual metal album cover. By the way, it is. It is too pretty <laughs> and too gaudy. Like it's. Uh, it's, little, it's too operatic. It's uh, basically. It's basically the bad out of hell cover uh, that, uh, that that they're doing there. Uh, but yeah, like that shit was that shit was a lot of fun. Um, there tease up another question though, because this was the thing that was looming over Eddie the entire time. Uh, someone writes, "The character of Jason as a manic jock swept up by the satanic panic is really interesting to me because despite all of his many bad actions, they are all informed by evidence presented before him. He also does not seem to be mean or bully any of the popular people in the school, and only becomes a weird Christian crusader after Chrissy dies. <laughs> Is there a world where Jason could have been not an antagonist or even an ally like Steve in season one if he learned the truth about Hawkins earlier? So, mm. Satanic Panic and the character of Jason. Yeah, how do we feel about how, how that was handled? I don't know how I felt about the arc, but the actor played it with such, like, vigor that you couldn't help but be compelled by the performance, which is kind of mostly how I felt about that, like, Jason's arc in general, was like, well, if I sat and thought about this for too long, yeah, I don't know, Uh, because maybe Jason mostly exists as to, like, be an antagonist for the other characters to move the chess pieces around the board less than I actually buy Jason and how he arrives at, like, the place that he he is. I don't think it's, like, completely off base, and I, I, I sort of see how you connect the dots on it, but... I don't know. Like, I liked watching him. He was very menacing. Like, he, yeah. he made you feel uncomfortable the moment he stepped into a room. But I don't know that I've fully bought his radicalization as the story. I mean, again, it's sort of like a lot of the storytelling in Stranger Things. Is like, I buy it in the moment because it's like cool and anxious and powerful. Like, the moment I start sitting back and being like, well, how. How'd Jason get here? Like, would he really like? You know, I don't, I don't know. But like, the performance was so strong that I just sort of like went along for for the ride, um, even for where it ended ended up. I buy like the, the the town doing this, right? Like the general arc of like these people are dying in horrendous ways. We don't know why this town seems cursed. Someone standing up and like grabbing the pitchforks, like that all that all tracks to me. If anything, Hawkins should have been doing it. Like, I'm surprised it wasn't happening to. You know, when a whole mall was destroyed, you know, like, like, like there's all sorts of like when a monster was trampezing through the woods, like seems like there's moments where this could have happened earlier. But um, they were clearly going for that arc this season. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's a success or a failure as much as like it just sort of I don't know. It was just sort of there, uh, which is maybe not the strongest answer to the question, but it's definitely how I reacted to the character. Yeah, I think. Um, I think. Jason is smarmy from the start. He gives that atrocious speech at the pep rally where it's like all these people yes. died so that we could win the championship. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of oblivious to what people around him are, are thinking or going through. Like, like we talk about like, like 
you know, the conviction that you're the main character, that's Jason to a T, right? All these things are yes. happening to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all things that are down to him to to fix. I think it's it's a well-executed character and that he is, yeah, he is scary. The the ways in which he has clearly like slipped out of control, even while trying to rem- like put on a mask of still being like functional and uh like on even keel is is really you can argue jason doesn't exist like yeah chrissy dies and then jason doesn't exist anymore and like that's almost like no more exemplified than when like he's in the lake watches a friend of him get (laughs) vecnaed and that should be the moment where you know you would sit and think like what's going on here but instead that just radicalizes him further because i think he almost like mentally separated once. No, he just becomes convinced that Eddie like summoned something from beyond right. the world. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's a good point that like the notion that Jason is anything other than this like unhinged control freak uh, is is kind of the, the questionable assumption because, uh, yeah, for the first time, something bad happens to him and he's like, I need to get a gun and kill a bunch of people. And right. along that way, he will terrorize his own friends uh, bully them into joining his lynch mob uh, and then refuse to swerve uh, until until the very, very end. Uh, I, I think like I I, I dig the I, I dig the character. I, I dig the like I think it's. I think it's partly something maybe worth reflecting on from them that like the scariest character in this is probably Jason uh, yeah. that like when all the shit is going on with Vecna and the upside down, the scariest thing to happen is Jason finding the kids at the old, oh my God, at the old yes. house. Uh, because Jason is a, like he is a character just by virtue of age uh, and like, and size. He is he, like, he is more than the kids can handle uh, like, like physically. And he is also, he's a character who's just so driven by rage and anger that like, you know, even by the time you meet one, that's a character who just doesn't shut the fuck up. That's a character who's always going to be like, I'm going to monologue and like, wait for mm-hmm. the, you to figure out your way, way around this. Jason did feel like a scary enough character that any moment he could show up in a scene and shoot one of the main cast. And you'd be like, yep, that tracks. Didn't expect they would die that way, but like, yeah. Okay. Well, and I think that's, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't know how much they'll focus on this in the final season, but I think it like goes to show that like when you are dealing in such like fantastic spectacle, uh, no matter how good the like the prosthetics of a Vecna or how good like the performer underneath all of those prosthetics slash CGI are, like I think it is telling that like the most compelling threat was just like a young guy with an ego and a gun. And like those were some of the most like I, I'm not sweating it when Nancy gets a tentacle wrapped around her neck, but like the moment he shows up. And what's that character's name? The younger sister, um, Lucas's younger sister. Uh, uh, I'll pull it up. But like this moment's like she she's out there with the flashlight and then he shows up and it's just like fucking like back back off. dude. Like that's the moment I start sweating um, is, you know, I mean, that's the kind of back into it with the performance. But I think it's like, you know, telling that that is the thing that. I stressed the most about like of like any like villainous arc throughout the entirety of the season. Yeah. Uh, Should hop have stayed dead? 
we kind of talk about the the Russia thing, but but my take, like I think I think for me, Hop is he and Grace both just do not have enough to do here in this season. Grace is there to look for Hop, and Hop is there to I don't know. We you mean we, uh, Joyce, uh, yeah, uh, Joyce. Um, but they don't. I, I, I like part of it is again go back to season one. One of the things that made Joyce so compelling is that she's just a working class single mom mm-hmm. trying to get anyone help or care uh, that her kids disappeared. And she's trying to, like, handle that while also dealing with the fact that, like, she's precarious and and on the border, like, right on the ragged edge of poverty. Um, By this point, this is sort of turned to a comedy bit where she's doing, like telemarketing and it's not going well but like not not poorly enough that like there's any anxiety around how like there's no equivalent to the how scene in California was, don't worry about it yeah there's no equivalent to the season the the scene we get in the first season where she's trying to like buy buy a bunch of groceries on credit and equipment like to go fight the monsters on credit um and like her her dealing with that but I, I think I think Hop and, and Grace, you have two things where you got good actors and characters that people like, but they did feel extraneous to the story. And the solution was to make them integral to each other's story here. Yes. But they occupy a huge amount of runtime and it's all tangential to what's happening in Hawkins. Well, and it's just they <clears throat> the characters of the previous season already arrived at will they or won't they kiss? And it's like they will. But then they went, uh, well, people are gonna be mad if like we don't like Winona Ryder has got nothing to do for like the entire season. So can we just like extend out that kiss like a little long? Because it feels like they'll give them plenty to do in the final season when everyone's like back together and the dynamics are a little tighter. But it is just the nature of like those characters sort of like got to the end of their journeys as far as like what season four could have been if it was like a tighter, more contained storyline because. As far as I can tell, like, I don't, I'm not even sure what Hopper really accomplishes in Russia. Like, oh, we're going to close the, we're going to affect the gate. It'll help the kids. They have no idea what they're doing at the time. Like, they have the shut, like, they propose that they're, well, the kids, they're off to fight something and Hawkins will just, like, attack the gate, I guess. But, like, they don't know when or why or what the plan is. Like, they're just going to fight this Demogorgon with a cool ass sword and it'll be, like, slow mo. And, like, it's just none of it adds up because the moment you start thinking about like why is this story present, like you just realize like it's not. It is just there for the characters to do bits. Um, it is yeah. there for Hopper to hit his foot with a sledgehammer and for you to go yuck because I did and it was yuck. But it doesn't actually not if it, if that plotline disappeared and it just turned out well Hopper just went to the upside down for a season and then when they disrupted Vecna. Like he just reappeared in Hawkins. Like nothing changes. Like no, like the the tables set exactly as it was the season prior. But you really like watching them in a room together, and then you get anxious when they're not in a room together. And the show just said like, well, how can we spin plates for you know? And the solution is Murray. <laughs> yeah, which I, you know what? For a character who is mostly a bit, I'm delighted. Every, like his bit still works for me. I laugh every time. I'm okay with it. Like <laughs> they're trying to like the uh you know the uh the stoner who's I, I like his he's not that far off from that character. No. Like it's just that he's not funny 
And this one, I still find funny, even though I can understand why others are maybe exhausted at this point. Yeah, and I, I mean, even like Ed, Ed Argyle is the stoner, uh, which again, yes. like just probably a reference to the sidekick in Die Hard. Um, Argyle, the limo Probably. driver, uh, even though they're nothing like, but they're both kind of carefree, wacky mm-hmm. uh, spirits. Uh, but he, like, even he's not like he's doing it, it, it's fine. It's just like, what is I'm mean, the problem? Like, one of the problems with Argyle is it kind of he underscores how horribly they've lost the plot with Jonathan Byers. Uh, yeah, which is like, what are we doing with this character? And part of it is, oh no, we made Steve way more interesting because he has an arc. Like Steve is kind of an entitled shithead in season one, but like a good enough guy that when he realizes his friends are assholes, he turns on his friends and like cuts them out. Yeah. And well, when the whole he- buyer family, like despite setting up this entire world, the buyers aren't really relevant to like any of the going ons anymore. They've been, or they've just been removed from like the story, but they like Jonathan Joyce, like, like Will, like I understand like the end by the end of the season, like, you know, Will's having a reaction to the Vecna or whatever, and I'm sure he'll become more integral. Please don't just make Will go through well, a trauma. So they ask, will they ever let again? Will be happy? Uh, someone asked, will they ever let Will be happy? And I think the one- they have to, right? They can, they cannot, they, it would be so wildly problematic that like Will. Like but here's struggling the problem. As a, here's the problem. Uh-huh. Fuck Will. <laughs> like, the, so the thing about Stranger Things is it's not about the group of four boys. It's about the group of three boys who didn't get pulled into the upside down. And yeah. like the the animating event in Stranger Things is Will's absence. Yes. And the entire show develops around Will not being a character who is there. He's just kind of like, oh, we got to rescue Will. He was so great. We love Will. He's in the other world. We got to get him. Season two is dealing with the fallout of like, yeah, something came back through with Will. And that's that's well, that's carried out well. The fact that like uh, Sean Aston tries to relate to him and step up as like a, a stepdad type character and gives him what turns out to be horrible advice. Well, you gotta stand <laughs> up for yourself and 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 don't run from your fears. And so like feed like Will feeds himself to the mind flare. Like, but all this stuff works. But the problem is at no point has Will ever been all that integral to the dynamics of the entire team or the party, whatever you want to call it. Right. And so here in this season, like, you know, if you're, if you're like, as a person, you have a lot of sympathy for him, right? Like he's like one bad thing has happened to him after another. Uh, he's realized he's gay. He's in love with his best friend uh, who, you know, appears to be, uh, pretty straight and also in a in a weirdly serious relationship for they're bound together by they they risk each other they risk lives for each other but whatever Mike and Mike and Eleven are like in this like really serious zero relationship. chemistry but you can buy it from like a uh like what they've gone through and yeah like yeah but like like bound like a relationship bound by tragedy not necessarily by attraction and chemistry right and so like you have sympathy for where will is in all this but the problem i just keep coming back to is like he doesn't and never has fulfilled any role in the plot but to be an instrument in the plot yeah he's just a device like yeah. he was he he existed to scream in the underground in the upside down in season 1 and then I mean, just yeah, it just acts as like a a narrative dramatic plot device, and even even in two, uh, 
So it's like, yeah, I mean, like, will they make, will Will kiss someone next season? Like, yeah, like, yes, I'm pretty confident. Like, it would seem very odd and to, to set this arc up for him where clearly Mike is probably not going to turn around and kiss him, but he's going to find some sort of emotional fulfillment. But like, I can see the return of the King ending for season six where like he's holding hands with some kid that he has found or rescued, like through whatever shenanigans they get up to in the next season. Like they'll do that. But like, do I think he's going to be a full character? No, No. I think it's like pretty likely that he's going to be like by the end of this season, the fact that he's affected by Vecna and has some sort of connection because Vecna is the mind flayer is that, you know, like this is how they're retconning, like how to explain the different events that are recurring in, in previous seasons. And presumably I think Vecna is also presented as, uh, you know, like the, a commander, like that's not actually that there's a big yeah. bad, you know, behind that. But I think like will equal happy is just like, will kiss boy, like not necessarily will become like a character that is like interesting or dynamic, and so, like, if that is satisfying to you, like, that, yeah. that's satisfying on a on a certain level. Like, it fulfills an arc, but I I think that the show is like f- clearly communicating, like, and who knows if that's the actor limitations? Who knows if they just don't know what to do with like Will, given that he started as a plot device, and then they're like, oh, oh, you know, it's we're like not going to be an anthology that- series. We have to carry these characters forward, but we we can't like k- kill Will off. Like, because we should have done that in the first season if we were going to do it. That entire van is just like the it's a van load of misfit characters at this point. Yes. Because like Will, it's like Will has two functions. It's like, and you're uh, you're gay this season. And uh, also you're going to give a really cringe speech to Mike about like, and Mike, (laughs) what's special about you is you're the heart. You're what holds this whole group together. And I'm like, actually, that's Steve's job, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> time, like, who the heart of the operation is uh it's it's steve but this this yeah the, uh that the van is you know like you know sometimes like before you go on a vacation you're know, like i cannot buy new food i don't want to order out but i need to make something that makes me full what do i have in the fridge and you end up with a plate full none of this connects like this is like got some mac and cheese yeah there's some tuna on here for some reason i'm not sure why you know like then you're like well i ate this plate i am full am i satisfied do we get anywhere mm, not really but like it was a plate of food and like that's kind of i'm so curious what they do with those characters by by the end because there's, there's there's almost like an impulse to be like what if at some point like you know, Eleven just like kind of lost it for a minute and like blew up that van. <laughs> like, <laughs> That'd be so good. They're rolling up to yeah. rescue her from the desert base. She's and she never falls on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The <laughs> show would be so much better if the helicopter. That's, like, that's what the show is saying. It's like it's a in its ensemble, but there are tears to these ensembles, and it's so funny to see it be so transparent about what it like. like yeah, look, there just is a D tier, and uh, we're sorry. Like, like the re- like the reason Nancy and Steve and Dustin are all together is because like that's S tier, and that's yep. look we yep. put Eddie in there because Eddie also S tier, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, is most of what Dustin do uh, is most of what Dustin does just yelling expository lines at a hall of high volume <laughs> of the characters. Yes, is he funny about it? 
also true. Uh, and he's mean to the other characters in ways that are really funny. Uh, but yeah, but like some, and, and it kind of sucks because the van is like, how did these characters who were once so central this entire thing end up yep. feeling this extraneous? That like, Will, nothing to do. Mike, even less. It's like, Levin, I believe in you. Big ups too. It's like, Little middle school wife. <laughs> Big guy. ups to psychic powers. I'm so proud of my. I'm so proud of my freshman wife. I am so. <laughs> people do not know what this woman does with her mind, and like so, his whole contribution in all this is to be like when she's getting rocked, he's like, "I believe in you," and she's like, "Now I can fight." And Jonathan. It like is maybe the grimmest situation here because he also seems like he's losing his girlfriend. Like, is anyone rooting? No, for, for, for it's that. a love triangle where they just hey, saw one of the points off. Yeah, sorry, so, sorry, buddy, but like, there's no chance Nancy's getting back with you. The only chance was like if they killed Steve <laughs> off, and it's like, nah, like ain't happening. It, but and that's the thing. It's like there. So after he gets. Like the, the where he's set up is he's sort of like the alienated loner kid who is put in that position largely because of poverty. Nancy's yeah. nice to him, but also he's a guy who, like you suspect, has hidden depths. Their arc is become kind of like sidekick Nancy Drew and uh Frank Hardy type characters. Or Nancy Drew had a boyfriend, right? In those books. I was but also these characters guy. don't do anything they go to other characters who do things for them right like jonathan like they just drive to meet up with the hacker dustin's girlfriend from the previous season which was a good bit like i enjoyed that sequence in the house that's a good character um uh yeah i I like home alone (laughs) but like none of those characters that you know he's you can't even he's trying to book a flight can't book the flight you know i mean like it's just they don't and they're giving zero they are given screen time but nothing to do and like talk about sabotaging the character if you're setting up there's gonna be a love triangle this dude went out to california and just got really into weed to the point where he's like no i can't leave my family my family needs me like that is like his whole deal is like on the one hand like i'm just such a dutiful son i gotta be i gotta stand here for my family they depend on me i can't leave them but also watch me (laughs) watch me take these massive bong rips and that's good like that's that's what i'm that is my primary motivation now is just like getting high as hell and to the point where he completely punks out on talking to Nancy about like, hey, like I know we're planning to go to school together, but instead I decided to get really high and <laughs> live at my mom's house because uh, well, you can almost want. feel like the the writers popping through Robin, or like Robin is just constantly being to to to, to, to both to both Nancy and Steve being like, come on, you guys want to like, come on, dude, like, like what she's are Sebastian, we, what are we doing mermaid? here? She, because I mean, Robin does like many times function as like an audience surrogate character, and and like especially for those two characters, it feels like it's just the audience being like, "How long are you gonna make us wait?" And it's fine. I'm fine waiting. That's one of the more fun dynamics. Like I'm like their separation and like them arriving at this place is really enjoyable, and I'm fine for them to stretch it out as long as they want. But I mean, the show is like 
It's not, it's not like putting its finger on the scale. It's just like dude. taking giant boulders and dude, being like, it is like fan Jonathan fiction. Jonathan is a loser. And like, like they only, like, like they're going to kill Jonathan. Like the only thing I can arrive at is like, the only way to resolve this is Jonathan sacrificing himself for Nancy and Nancy going, I didn't really care anyway. I know it's dude. Like they, they did turn him into a loser. And like, he does get a good moment, which is when he realizes, cause Mike is an idiot where he's like, my brother just confessed to his friend that he's gay and yeah. is in love with him. And like Mike yeah. missed it, but like, I see it. It's and, a great moment. And they have a good moment later. I, th- I think that moment where he just sort of watches it is, is good. And I do like the way he handles it, which is he doesn't make, he doesn't make will say anything. He's not ready to say, but he just like makes yeah. it very clear. Like I will always be here for you. Yeah. And that's, that's good. That's like the one good moment he has in this entire thing, but the rest of it is he looks like a punk and in the meantime, Steve is turned a, into the hero haircut, from Red Dawn. Jonathan. Like Steve and Nancy are like look like they've just come out of like the Simeonese Liberation Army. They're all like fucking berets <laughs> and like army jackets. And we're getting the whole like, oh no, Steve, let me bind your wounds <laughs> and shit. Like, and then multiple cut like it is fan fiction grade where it is every other character so interested in talking about the central couple. Yeah, Robin's just like, you know, if you're jealous of me, you shouldn't be. And Eddie, like, contemplating his imminent death, being like, you know, Steve, Nancy <laughs> Nancy was ready to die for you. Uh so yeah, like that that like that bus was fucking that that fucking van was some sad shit. Like the the van was everything going wrong with this season. Uh <laughs> like it was like it was excruciating. I felt bad for the I can you imagine being an actor and getting the scripts? Like just well, but that but that's but that also speaks to the, the same thing with the prison arc, the same thing with the van arc is it's a consequence of their decision to want to intercut between all of these stories. It's not hard to imagine. Yes. Where they, they, they just examine the characters. And they're like, okay, we don't want to exercise them, exercise them entirely from the season, but we don't have a ton of them for them to do. Let's compact that into like the strongest moments possible and like string that all together. But when it's like, when it has to be just turned into a piece of gum that is stretched to its limit, it like it just snaps because they just don't have enough material. And yes, I, I agree with you that it's a bunch of characters that just don't have a lot to do more broadly in this universe, like the, the story that they're telling. But even if they are unwilling to let them go because they want to keep the entire ensemble together, well, then they've done all of them, like the actors and the characters, a disservice by just having them spin these plates with with with, with nothing to do. Because then all it does is just make it transparent that that's what they're doing as opposed to, you know, again, if there was more of a focus structure to the episodes where you got an entire episode with them in the van, I, again, I don't know how much better it is, but it's like sort of contained. You get all the best moments together and it has like a, a better effect than just, well, we've cross cut to the van again. Like, what are they up to? Like, I, you know, because um, it doesn't get any stakes until Eleven gets involved. And that's pretty late into the. It's weird, too, because it starts so strong. The way they end up in the van is one of the most shocking moments in the season is when their safe house gets hit. When 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 Joyce's house is invaded by the army and like, yeah, one of the guards is just like shot right away. And you have the the, the (laughs) one of the entire house being attacked. And it's like some real serious shit. And then the rest of it is like stoner road trip 
comedy time uh, to, to no real end. Um, I think we, we touched on this a, a little bit, but, uh, you know, as we're talking about all these like stray plot threads, uh, you know, so he goes back to the, is the season bloated or not thing uh, they, they write, um, you know, I've seen James Cameron preemptively respond to complaints about the runtime of the next Avatar by comparing it to binge watching a streaming show like Stranger Things. How do you all feel about the runtimes of movies, TV shows, and binge watching? For me, while I might have had some issues with pacing here and there, the length of an episode of Stranger Things was moot beyond deciding whether I'd spend my evening watching three episodes in a row or one TV movie-esque uh, final episode. I'm much more tolerant of streaming shows running long where I can control when and how I watch them and where I take breaks than movies in the cinema with no intermission, but I'm curious how you all feel. Uh, love the show. Cheers. Corliss. I'm actually, I think I'm there too. Like as much as I'm yeah. like, I wish things were lean and mean and efficient. I kind of like just having my big cereal bowl full of stranger things to tuck <laughs> into. And like that final episode, like there was a natural episode break 40 minutes in. And I was yeah. like, they're about to go into the upside down. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be like 80 minutes of just chaos. And so I'm just going to take a break and I'll come back to it later. I felt no, felt no, like it was so clear that you just stop here. I was just like, right, I'm, I'm checking out. And you know what? I liked having just a few days full of just like binging stranger things. I love that shit. World outside is bad. Like <laughs> I need this shit. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I think like streaming in general has, created things longer than they need to be. And I think there are moments like a stranger things where I'm here for the excesses. And, and if anything, the show is setting its, itself up as like, I am excess, like hear me roar. Like that, like that's kind of what the show is, but like, I think broadly it's been like a bad, a bad thing or a thing I find annoying or a thing that like I get to the end of, you know, uh, a show and it's like, well, that didn't need to be, you know, that episode did not need to be an hour and 10 minutes like that just that just decided to be an hour and 10 minutes. But uh, and I do think the difference between movies and TVs is fundamentally different ex for exactly what this person is touching on. It's like you can control it. Like if I'm if I get an hour and 30 minutes in and there's, you know, 45 minutes left, I, I can just watch it. To tomorrow like yeah. I, i'm good um and frequently movies that do run that long have like what feel like natural breaks that you can sort of like stop something before the momentum picks up again and so uh i don't know like it's it didn't bother me i'm like you it didn't bother me in stranger things it like brought it, it like bothers me more broadly but maybe that's on a case-by-case -case basis of the thing that clicks with you and it's like, fuck it. I would just, you know, I'm watching better call Saul right now. I was like, those episodes were three hours. The thing is though, I say that. And I think part of the reason better call Saul works is because it is so fucking tight and effective that if it was longer, like they keep you like the tension is so sharp that if it was longer, it could lose it. And the reason it works is because, well, it is 42 minutes. And like, you know, you're just locked in this room for like this tiny amount of time it's like, well, how is this going to resolve itself? Whereas in Stranger Things, it's like, well, just lean on back. We don't have to resolve it anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I oh, go ahead. No, I was, was going to say, like, I, and it's weird. I can hold in my head the idea that, like, there's entire subplots that don't need to be here, kind of boring. And I wish they'd, like, 
it's not so much I wish they cut them. I wish they'd either figure out a better solution here or figured out a more right. interesting thing to put in that runtime. But it's not the runtime itself that bugs me. Like, I don't necessarily think it's that the season is so freaking long that creates this problem. They just did not come up with the right creative solutions to some of these issues uh, that, right. that they had. Um, you could have found things to do with these long side, like, side plots. Uh, they just didn't. But that's but it was not the runtime that was killing me. It was just like I don't know how many times I watched the shitty hot like pilot uh try to defraud like Joyce and Murray. <laughs> the thing I will say that's related to this is Stranger Things I I really wish it was a weekly episodic drop. Yeah. I I am not anti binge. I, I think there are shows that make sense to just drop a whole thing and have yourself work it, but I am a, and this comes out of my experience watching shows like X Files and Lost. Like, I find it, I find it fun to have a wait in between things and to talk about people about those things before you get to the next one. And there are so many moments in this season, like the running up the hill moment, especially. Now it manages to find it, like break out of its containment field anyway because it was just so strong. And I cannot believe we've made it this far into talking about this without talking about Kate Bush, but. And maybe we can maybe yeah. we can get there, but uh, I like I I really like having the space to like and just to return to Better Call Saul. I was like I love like Alan Steppenwall is a TV critic. I adore his write ups. Like the first thing I do, I, I like I watch an episode and then I go online and I read his write up, and then I go and read what other people like wrote about the episode, and I really like that part of it, and. I do a stranger thing. We got a little bit of that, right? Like the like fact that like the the split volume thing, whether it was like a subscriber thing, a VFX thing, like I don't really care, but it made it really fun. Like I you know, I told you we were trying I was trying to race to finish it so we could do this podcast before I went on vacation. And I was like, I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to finish this in time with my wife. But then like that Thursday night before we left for the vacation, like we came back from the kids playing and with, with a neighbor and it was already like nine o'clock and I was like, oh, not a chance. We're going to start start this. And she just looks at me. She's like, this is out. Like, I need to see this whole thing right now. And I was like, you get that because like your friends are tweeting about it, posting it on Facebook. And it's like, I just I want to see this end and I want to be able to do that so I can understand the memes, and the discussion. And like, I, I value that yeah. part of the discourse. And great. Yes. Part of that is I don't have the time to binge, but I I do think it like does take away from something when everything is dumped, dumped yeah. out. Um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think on a sh- show by show basis, that would be different. There's no space to discuss episodes that provide bridges to cool things. Like, Oh, that was cool. when that happened. Uh, no, I feel like Netflix is wedded to this idea of like, we are defined by the binge watch and it's like, they can't back off. They're reconsidering everything, but that even though like, you know it would be better for your subs, like on a practical level, what if you, you had to have stranger things for four and, months. And also, yes, exactly. And also like, Hey, is it all weird to you that they can put out wildly varying quality levels of Marvel shows? And those like occupy a ton of like the conversation space, uh, regardless of how interesting they are just mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that like, yep. For the next like two months, people are gonna be talking about this thing. Um, it's just wild that you can like you look at the show and it is just so. What did they say was how much Stranger Things cost season four? It was astronomical. Um, let's see. Yes, 
new episodes, $30 million a piece. The idea that by the end of this, you are spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and just dumping it on one, essentially one day is just, it made sense in a different era when you were trying to convince people, like, here's this new model of experiencing things. It just divorced from my personal feelings on like how I like to experience and talk about television as an episode. Like, I feel like as an episodic medium, it when you release every episode, you're just saying we've made a long movie. Um, and a lot of a lot of TV, a lot of TV shows are just long movies. But um, I feel like part of the advantage of the episodic is that like you can talk about it in episodes, and you lose that when you just binge it as a movie. But yeah, like given the state of their finances, it's just com- like because shows like this, people, what are they going to do? Cancel? Like, no, no, they're not going to cancel over, over Stranger Things. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's a it's a very weird thing. Uh, and I guess the, maybe the thing you'd argue is, does Stranger Things blow up launching with a weekly model from the jump? I think probably it was well made enough that it would have. That pilot is really strong. Yeah. But I do see where they they might have reached a conclusion not necessarily wrong about that. Mm-hmm. One reason people latch onto this is like you could just ride that momentum, and everyone's like, "Holy shit, I'm super into the show!" And I watched like eight episodes yesterday; it was incredible. Yes, uh, yes. and but like they clearly don't have to do that now, and they're no. kind of sticking. Once you hooked people, you can sort of you know you then you're good. Um. So. You mentioned you mentioned Kate Bush. Uh, let's let's start with a mm-hmm. with a really pointy question. What's your favorite Kate Bush song outside of Running Up That Hill? I don't have an answer to that because I was introduced to Kate Bush by Running Up That Hill, right. and then just started listening to Love Hounds a lot. That's right. That's the album that's from Love Hounds. Right? Yes, that's uh, the name. Yes, which uh, is an excellent. Although you have an answer to this. Yes, Wuthering Heights, hands down. <laughs> uh, just yeah, I know. I know. Instantly. Uh, that 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 song is incredible. Um, and so you knew Kate Bush before. I feel like because that has been the story of the season is a this she's a uh, a British artist, right? Um, and never really took off in the U.S. And this song has like broken streaming records. Like it, like I believe it was on like one of the one of the pop, like pop charts. Like it, she didn't qualify to be charted because of yada 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 and had to like change the rules because this was exploding to a degree that you just like had to fucking market at how at how big it was and it's just uh it's a wild thing it's also a very good song yeah i mean like kate bush is like just one of the odder acts in music uh i mean you can sort of hear it right like unusual voice occupy like works in a falsetto range that's like really unusual the way she deploys it um it's a little unsettling. Not unsettling is maybe the wrong word. No, I mean, I think she very, leans into it. Like she, she played yeah. like her entire persona is like uh, ethereal chanteuse from the land of the fae. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little off key in, in like in or off kilter is like how, like listening to all of love hounds after like getting into all right, I'm gonna help you. That's hounds of love. because of this hounds of love. Okay. All right. D- I would say if Dia, I don't know if Dia is listening to this, but like, I'm sure somewhere Dia is upset like psychically because D is the one that I asked. I was like, all right, what should I listen to? And so I apologize. I apologize Dia. Um, but, uh, <laughs> who let yes, the love uh, hounds out? <laughs> uh, who let the love out? 
But yeah, I mean, you look at her, you look at her music video. She leans into like there, like she she cuts an odd figure, uh, and there's something sort of compelling about her music. But you can also understand why it's like she's poppy, but also I think does have a bit of that uh, musical theatricality. Uh, what, mm-hmm. I, what I mean, like stage play musicals. Yes. Um. And so I think she she works in in those spaces. And uh, yeah, she was like, I would say she was like solidly in that like second or third tier of like pop acts. Uh. In in this period, well, her music's not immediately accessible, right? Like, I mean, I think you know, running up that hill like is like, and that is the big having one. listened. That to, is the big one. It's the big. It's the big one. It's, but like in like but like listening to that album, I remember like I put it on with my wife in the car and like there were multiple times she was like what are we listening to again i was like i know like the rest of the album like i mean it's got some bangers but like it's it is not as like immediately sort of like hits you with a hook the same way that that song does um it was interesting to read you know relative to i think how a lot of music is probably embedded into especially kind of like what you know they call them like needle drops right like oh here's like the yeah. cool song they dropped in here that they probably came up with while they were editing this montage together in the um the script like uh th- by all accounts um uh i think it was who was it sadie yeah sadie sink who plays max she was like no like first scripts i got were like you know before they even get to the sequence where they use like running up that hill to to escape from vecna uh like it was written right there. Like Kate Bush running up that hill is Max's favorite song. And so like just interesting. I think it's one of those things where the common criticism of Stranger Things is just being like, we just watched a bunch of Spielberg films and just like ripped on. I was like, no, like there's more going on here. And like, it's moments like that, that I think speak to the taste of like the Duffer brothers, that they can pull something like that out. And I don't know, you can, you, you just watch it. It like transforms the public persona of a pop artist that for a lot of people had no relevance to them, even if they were around when she was, you know, actually relevant and like on the scene. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it helps that she's also tied to one about like, again, the sort of the characters who sort of emerge as people who can just carry entire scenes by themselves. I think they, they hit that early with Millie Bobby Brown, uh, and I think mm-hmm. this season it's Sadie Sings Max, uh, who is just she's so good. Like she, like sorry, in a different this, league, a a mature performer. Yeah, like if you're talking about a show in which like there's not a lot of uh, I don't want to call it like uh, you know comedy, not acting, but like if we're like dividing those up, like dra- like drama and comedy, there aren't a lot of like I love Nancy, but like you know I'm not necessarily buying all of the emotional beats necessarily. Like I buy it because of the interactions between like her and uh uh steve but like the probably like beyond winona Ryder and and to some you know to 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 a slightly lesser extent millie bobby brown like sadie sink is like the doing the most like capital a acting in this like she carries the entire season uh dramatically on her on her shoulders and i mean i just like crushes it like every scene with her is just oh my god i mean when the, the the way they the way they take the way they like sort of kind of retcon like more emotional resonance with the relationship with her brother is like one of the smarter storytelling decisions they make. Like that moment where they, t- you know, that first sequence where she gets possessed by Vecna because she's apologizing at the at the gravestone. And then by the end, Vecna gets her to admit she wanted him dead and she was happy about it. 
is 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 just like brutal and she's she sells the shit out of it yeah it's like from the moment that she realizes she's laboring under this kind of death sentence uh for the season uh she is handed a a harder assignment and given a lot of scenes to basically carry by herself and they are the most compelling uh like gut punch scenes in the show and it does like show up that um there are not a lot of like peer actors among like the cast of kids mm-hmm. that can keep pace with her right like uh you know they keep they keep mike far away from her this season right like just no need <laughs> no need to have him uh act as, act opposite her uh but you know even um you know you, even even like lucas is mostly there to be like a supportive like normie boyfriend yeah. in, in a lot yeah. of ways but like she carries all this stuff by herself and and she's in, incredible with it i think it's like this like if the vecna stuff works at all it is because you have max uh basically living with that death sentence over her head uh and yes. like being able to go confront him that that last time and it's super weird how that ends up playing out uh that they basically we see her just get fucking wadded up and just like <laughs> crushed to death by vecna and then yeah. for reason like now you know i believe 11 has crazy powers mm-hmm. does her being like no and being really sad, does that can she res people? She, yeah, she had a phoenix down in her pocket, you know? It was a little uh, weird. Like where it's like Max it was is alive, but she's in a super serious though. It's so serious. Like she might, you know, who knows if she'll ever be the same. She might be she might have sort of already be dead, but she's not dead. Well, because they don't they don't they don't really establish it'd be one thing if they established that what Vecna did was not crush her bones to dust in the real world but just like trapped her away in some psychic cage then yeah of course we've established from the beginning that like 11 is capable of like going into people's minds traveling to different places psychically and i could see how she could go in and and do that but like we see very clearly that like characters are fucking back and gets 90 percent of the way there of, of doing his bone his wwe move on 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 her and so i mean there's no chance she's dead. I know. Like, I mean, that's but it's just, it's, one that's. It's just very it's a funny weird place they walk to leave the character. Yes. Yeah, like it yes. seems immediately, like, like thirty seconds. It's almost like they shot it, wrote it, and were like, "Yeah, we should probably like if we killed Max, it would be, wow, she's the heart of this season." Like much like Steve, like this is a character that if you were to pull it out from the from the the Jenga pile of these characters, it would just, it would destroy you. So let's do it. And at the end, they're like. <laughs> can't yeah i can't do it. i can't do it <laughs> like even more than steve like she gets all she gets the dramatic like reconciling herself to her death heroic last stand all this stuff gets her character's all done yeah right like not not that she can't be around she's a she's a she's a, a delightful element playing off the other characters but like her characters are reached the end of its road like we're done yeah and then th- this show is just incapable of saying <laughs> he's like and I'm sh- I have to imagine there'll be some of that in the final season and um, to, to some degree. But yeah, and um, maybe she gets sidelined for, for a while um, to try and like increase the tension there. But they've said there's gonna be a time jump for the for the next season, which is strikes me as a little bit odd because they left things right in the middle of like, 
Well, that'd be cut, but things seem awfully dire. Like time <laughs> like, jump. What is like? What is? What do you mean by time jump? Like with the sh- the, the season ends. You mean like with, a day? Like the inc- I, I got yeah. Two hours late. Like cut to two hours later. Yeah, the know? upside down is pouring <laughs> out into the streets of Hawkins. Like what? How much can you jump? Unless they're gonna do some sort know. of bonkers, like uh, you know. It'd be very wild if they did this, but basically Jump like four years later and, the world and it's just like ended. this wasteland. Yeah, yeah, it's just ended. The world is done. We're in like a Mad Max Fury Road sort of situation where everyone has just like gone into different factions. That would like God, what a what a what a move. Uh so another question. Are you disappointed that the mysterious and actually let me go back to this one? This is a better question. I've seen a lot of TikToks of teens finding tenuous connections between Vecna and things that happened last season. Do you think this was actually planned, or do you think they're just making it up as they go along? It's it's got to be the latter, right? A hundred percent. And in defense of that, I so this criticism like essentially stems back from Lost, which is like uh, a show with a sprawling serial mythology. Um, and people feeling unsatisfied with the way Lost wrapped up. And so, like, the first question anyone ever has, and you'll see this in interviews all the time, like, we have a plan. Like, we've mapped it out. And you know what they're doing to you? They're fucking lying to you. Because you read, like, anything about how even, like, a show like Breaking Bad was made. Like, which, you look at Breaking Bad, like, geez, like, you know, seems like they must have known where, like, all this, well, maybe they knew sort of where Walter White was going to end up. But, like, when they would talk about scenes, I don't want to spoil too much of that, but, like, the scene where, like, Hank is on the toilet, right? Like, an incredible scene. Like, they didn't know what happened the moment after that. And they're like, I don't know. We'll figure it out in the writer's room next. And so, I my guess is they knew broadly where they wanted these characters to end up. Do I think they knew who Vecna was in season one? Like, no. probably not. <clears throat> is this a decent enough retcon of, like, those other events and how Vecna could be responsible for it? Sure. Uh... But also, like, if you're here, if you're watching Stranger Things to, like, get to the end, and this is actually where I'm a little worried, because they did this a little too much in, in this season. It's like, guys, 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 don't really fucking care how that much how the Upside Down works. Like, like when we get Vecna monologuing about what they did on the other side to become themselves, and he's, like, walk, walking these ways, like, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't actually care. Like, I don't, like, I'm so worried that, like, what, how season six is going to start is, like, open on Vecna talking to, I guess, the Mind Flayer, right? Like, I guess that's maybe, like, yeah. is that the ultimate baddie of this? Like, the big cloud. Getting, yeah, I just don't, I just don't care that much. Nope. And, and, and so I'm worried that a lot of season six could fall into the trap of, well, people want answers. And well, people don't want answers. They just want to feel satisfied. Yeah. And like the lesson of Stranger Things so far is like get Natalie and Steve, you know, together by the end. Like, I don't really care what happens with Vecna and the upside down. It's all sort of like Nancy and Steve. A reason a reason for these characters to go do things less than like I need to know like what's the hierarchy of the upside down? Do I need an episode that gives me the origins of how this plane of existence came together? Like not really, but I'm like pr- I'm pretty convinced they're just going to be too tempted to do all of that. Uh, by the way, you know I think she's got plucky protagonist energy energy too. Uh, but it's Nancy and Steve, not Natalie and Steve. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I'm looking at this yeah. IMDb page, and her name is N- N- uh, Natalia. Natalie, yeah. N- Natalia Dyer. So I just uh, sorry. Well, well, you also called Joy. Well, the amount of times you called Joyce Grace. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and, that, and that's not even Winona Ryder's real name. So you yeah, I don't know why. There. I don't know where Grace is coming from. Uh, but the. So, okay, here, like, no, of course they didn't know that any of this. They went back and they created an entire thing that happened that set up the start of Stranger Things. Stranger Things opens, Eleven is the special test subject. There is no other test subject we need to care about. Eleven is the psychic super soldier child in, like, super super soldier child in training. Uh, that they've got in the Hawkins lab, and it opens. There's no with, allusion to a like, and there was another one. Oh, like, there used to be no, like fifty of these kids. <laughs> no, the entire thing, their entire thing. They set up an entire like bond that she just suppressed. They they set this entire thing up where she assists <laughs> in the escape of just like the Hannibal Lecter of their like psychic soldier program. It's like, do you want to? Have you want to see what a retcon? Yeah. looks like. The season, like then, that's it. Like, then, like is as transparent as possible. All of that happens. She suppresses it, and then they're like, "But of course, now you've proven you're such a good psychic, uh, like soldier that we're going to make you the focus of this entire test program." Setting up season one. It's it's absurd, <laughs> and like you and you know, like there's not something you'd plan because they keep having to. I could not work out. The fact that in moments they do show that like, oh, yeah, Eleven would have been younger during this point. So they like show a different is a different performer or sometimes it feels like they just shrunk. No, they're, do, they're, do, they're doing that. They're doing the, the digital um, de-aging. Well, I'm sure I'm sure they had like a, a, a younger performer and then. Yeah. Oh, dude, like occasionally so they did the young CGI face and then there's the long shot of it and it looks awful. I don't know why they just didn't commit. Just show me Millie Bobby Brown. She's fine. I, I understand that you're showing me a flashback. I don't need you to CGI her face. It's so funny. And they're just, and they, they do the thing where it's like, yeah, of course, like, because now she's actually projecting into the story that like, she'll look the way she does now. Uh, but then they'll occasionally like have a little moment of like, but remember, yeah. she's like a little tot. And yep. I'm like, why are you showing me this small little like CG, like gremlin <laughs> running around in these scenes? Like someone in Photoshop just took Millie it Bobby Brown just and just like shrunk. Yes, it does. I was like, it doesn't look like a different actor. It looks like they just grabbed the corner and like just scaled her down. Uh, so I like, I think that like, and again, I don't care. It's very funny. Nope. Uh, but mm-hmm. It does lead us to they are a bit at sea with um with this whole subplot. Somebody asked a really pointed question. How did you all feel of the sympathetic and arguably uh, receptive ending that Dr. Brenner Papa got? Maybe I'm misreading this final scene, but to me, it felt like it was supposed to be redemptive for a character who should be so who should be so far behind being redeemed. I don't think it was redemptive. Uh in the end, he's still kind of a narcissist, and she she denies him the comfort he wants at the end, uh, and just right. sort of like ties off that relationship. But I will say, um, I'm kind of surprised we fell back into daughter and papa uh, again after. I was surprised that she said it right. Like I could understand like once or twice where she's going through this traumatic emotional journey and like digging through these repressed memories. That like it made sense that she would kind of lapse back into that it was like but this guy was a shithead to you like you denounced the papa thing a long time ago 
why are we yeah. why why are we still doing this? It feels like that was a moment where it's like, hey, we actually finished this emotional arc in season one. I don't know why we're like going back to this well again. Well, I guess I don't know why Eleven is. I understand why yeah. Brenner is. Like, you want to return him as a villain, fine, whatever. Like, it's it's convenient. But like Eleven, like she closed the book on this, and like it's just like a long version of then just getting to that final scene where she, you know, denies him like you know redemption or love, really. Yeah. Oh, like I think she loves him, but like love in a way that like. I didn't have real parents. Like you're all I know. So of yeah. course I love you on some primordial level, but I don't, I re- I reject this notion that you did what was best for me. Right. Like it, like, yeah, they, they get to a place where like, you can see, Oh yeah, that would, that is a complicated relationship, but also it's no longer an interesting one. Like it is. Yeah. Uh, the, and, and the fact that we end up just repeating things like everything just repeats he gets her back in her lab in his lab and begins like doing the same sort of controlling tormenting shit uh and like you know you, you defend it as like ah, oh, it's making a point about uh you know abusers or something i suppose but i don't know like a lot of this just seemed like marking time a lot a lot of and well not just like retreading ground but it's in the show you know it does this pretty frequently like it's 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 a weakness of the writing is like they just cannot help but just state the the emotions the characters are feeling like there's like a sequence between the two of them where they're outside of that ch- or chamber thing and Apollo he's, and, and he's like capsule. Yeah. And he's like, I did what was best for you. And she goes, you did what was best for me. I did what was best for you. No, you didn't. Yeah. And they just can't let anything just be subtle or like, let well, these are two totally decent performers. And they're just like yelling, like their emotions at one another. And it's like, all right, here comes the breach. And he's like, Nope, already hit you with the injection. So you're going to fall asleep before this gets resolved because I have to be shot by a sniper in a helicopter. So you can crash the helicopter. Like it's (laughs) like all the, like, here's the thing. I think the 11 stuff is pretty whack this season too. Um, I, I think, uh, so I wrote this in. Are you disappointed that the mysterious and otherworldly threat ended up being just another mediocre white guy with delusions of adequacy? <laughs> I think that underrates uh, one a little bit because, like, he's the original template. Like, he's the original, like, the original yeah. template for, like, their telepath program is a disturbed child who, like, basically he's a he's a little, um, you know, uh, Michael Myers uh, type type character he's a, it's more complicated than jason yeah right like and that characters are for sure but like he is so powerful that like if he's ever let off the leash he can wipe out the entire facility in one go and is more than 11 can handle uh in the end until like until mike is the heart of all <laughs> yells at her does hey hey finn could you get real loud again you know the way dustin gets really loud could you try to be like could you just <laughs> yell? Uh, that'd be great. And so with the power of him yelling at her in the fucking ice bath, she she overpowers him. But like, I think he ends up. But here's the problem. I think he was so much more interesting as an ambiguous character in the lab who's like kind of a dark yeah. mentor. And the minute he's just like. A psychic vampire running around the upside down doing this shit. I'm like, I don't care that much. He's not. He's just slurping up the people, but it doesn't. It yeah, it, it would almost be more interesting if they were separate characters, right? That Vecna was someone that he connected with, rather than he became Vecna. Because I don't know Vecna's motivations. I just don't really 
I was like, yeah, man, I, yeah, I get it, but like, I don't know. Just, it, it didn't really, like, I like Vecna on, on Vecna's own, and I like this character. I like, you know, one on their own, but like, the pair didn't necessarily quite cross over for me in a way that I fully bought. No, and like, for all the money they've got this to work with this season, they haven't really found an interesting way for their powers to express themselves. Um, like her no force psychic slamming, stuff. They haven't quite. No, it doesn't really. Her her. I mean, psychic stuff is hard, like in general is hard to portray on screen because you have a pretty limited bag of tricks. Yeah. You know, even the even the way they kill the kids off. You know, the teens off in this one. It's like yeah, the first time when Chrissy dies, it's a really upsetting to watch what happens but then you know freddy krueger which is essentially the primary inspiration for back then like <laughs> freddy was inventive you know freddy had different way it was like but uh, am i supposed to be impressed like when you know the you know uh jason's friend gets lifted into the lake and then i was like really they're gonna do it again you're just gonna bend i was like i'm not saying it doesn't look upsetting but well, and they just Vecna get a new get a new bit, buddy. I and also they, had plenty of time to think about this. They whiff with all the running time. They whiff on making the other characters like. I feel like in horror movies, there's some characters like, oh no, I didn't want this person to get it, and then there's some characters like being like, I can't wait to see them get it. And sometimes, <laughs> like maybe at their best, it's kind of both, right? Where it's like, ah, yeah, yeah. man, this piece of shit. Wonder how they wonder if they're gonna make it. <laughs> but here, it's like, uh. Yeah, one of the basketball like uh vigilante group. Like art basically it's the red circle arc from Riverdale. Mm-hmm. Like one of the the little red circle members uh gets like ripped apart in the lake. And before that, it's like the random sidekick they pair with Nancy. Um yep. like just what's this guy doing here? What like she's got a a nerdy um like Little shop of horrors ass like sidekick running around. Well, yeah, because because presumably Vecna is like this all powerful can has eyes into you know Hawkins like who? So why didn't you just why didn't you just pick Nancy? You know what I mean? Like I I, I don't really understand. The, guilty about like right. the, the 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 vector is that he can can't you just go after Brenner? Does he have a does he have a shield? The, the, like what's I don't the vector of attack is people's guilt. And so they allude to like Nancy's sidekick is like, you know, you caused that car crash. And I'm like, what car crash? I was a kid, caused a car. Like, did he like put down a spike strip and kill a bunch of it? Like, what what did he do? Like, I was a kid. Right. Uh, right. And like, we don't even get that much for the kid who gets killed in the lake. Um, no. It's just like almost nothing. After Vecna misses on Max, he's like, well, I guess I'll just eat this one. Um, <laughs> and like, that's it. Uh, that, that, that's all we get out of that character. Uh, it's it's not like that. That is not really well carried out. No, I, I I agree. Like it's a very striking visual design and the performance, yeah. which is, I, I believe is the same actor, you know, doing yeah. you know uh, both both versions. Like is, but again, that's how many times have we said with Stranger Things? Like, well, I mean, but wow, that was a pretty good performance, and like it looked pretty cool. Yeah, and it's like that's kind of like where you like. Stranger Things post season one, like I, if you fell off, it's like, well, you, because the the show went on a certain track and you were either just like, you're on the track and you have your own ups and downs with it, but essentially you're either with it or you aren't um, because they're just like so radically different things. Like you could have ended season one and it would have been like one of the stronger episodes of like one-off episodes of television in, in a while uh, or seasons. Um, 
But then it's just vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like vibes and characters. Well, and it's just a matter of like who you latch onto and how much you how much you vibe with them as they they go through their yeah, that's that kind of answers our last question. Does Stranger Things actually deserve its ca- cultural cachet and appreciation, or is it mostly driven by having been present on the most ubiquitous platform of our age? And I think the answer for me, the answer is kind of both. Yeah, Stranger Things is unusually fun, and it is mm-hmm. channeling things you do not see a lot of anymore. Um, it has a distinctive look. Um, it is like. The editing, like there's something about the snappiness to the editing that every time I see it, I'm like, if you were to show me an out of context clip with different actors, I feel like I could identify. I was like, oh, that's that reminds me of the editing from Stranger Things. Yeah. And like genuinely, there's a lot of good filmmaking. And yeah, is it lifting a lot from Spielberg in particular that first season? Yeah. Uh, good steal from the best, uh, <laughs> like guy had incredible eye, uh, and an, an incredible, uh, sense of pacing. Uh, yes, you should like, and a lot of movies and TV shows you see now do not, um, not in that right. way. And I think it's sort of, it's not just an expensive looking show. It's a good looking show that is also expensive, which is not always the case, even with like, you know, uh, you know, you look at like Amazon's upcoming like Lord of the Rings shows like, wow, that looks really expensive. I don't know how good that show looks, but like it's expensive. I see the money. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, I'm I am down so many rabbit holes on shows that are expensive, but I'm like, is this good? I don't know. Um, You know, looking at you, Shadow and Bone on Netflix, like <laughs> uh, it, it's Zarpunk. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> sign me up. Bolt action rifles and magic and Maxim guns. Yes. Perfect. Anyway, uh, no, I I think something else is that maybe we should give Stranger Things a little bit more credit as well as being a thing that is really well pitched at being a story fundamentally about maybe even for like it's the really good PG-13 like scary film or something like that. Yes. And not not like the thing where it's basically a PG film but they just like math use the formula to put in the right swear words to get the PG-13 rating yeah, I, can, I can say the fuck I can say fuck once yeah. and then yeah uh but it strikes this balance of like an honestly god slasher story or something people are getting got all the time it's going to be like a charnel house for a lot of the kids involved in it this is like young adult fiction in a lot of places mm-hmm. like it is about oh yes. this little this little gang of ragtag friends and some cool parents and adults uh like who, are, who can be part of the supporting cast like all of them working together to f- identify and fight a threat that most of the world doesn't take seriously or even perceive uh which is like a metaphor for like the experience of being a child right that i'm fighting battles that like the world cannot see does not care about um and like that people can't relate to Stranger Things does that really, really well. And if you're looking around for, well, what's doing it better than Stranger Things? There's not a whole lot I can point to uh, that is like that is operating in that space. Um, and so, I, like, I actually give it a lot of credit for being a thing sort of pitched at telling a story about um, Emily St. Clair over at Vox uh, wrote uh, St. St. James uh, wrote a really good thing when the season came out about how a moment that had really stuck with her in 
season one is that first bike ride home after the D and D game. And they go over a hill and the kids all sort of launch off the hill on their bikes, right? Like chain as fast as they can. And she talks about how that whole, that whole season is about like this moment where all the kids are sort of suspended between being like children and like teenagers. And the show has struggled to recreate that because the kids, you know, she puts, they, they fall into earth. They are teenagers, the young teenagers. Now the teenagers are, are young adults, but like all this has changed and made it a bit harder to like tell some of these stories or find a compelling heart to them. But I think when stranger things is at its best, it exists in that space and, and, and evokes some of that like magic. And I think it's a, it's a space that, not a lot of media speaks to uh, right now. A lot of media pitched at like younger people does the gossip girl or Riverdale story where it's basically a, a soap opera, but about teenagers who basically have the independence and means of adults. Um, I don't know what the current horror landscape, but I don't feel like even the, the horror and suspense stuff that they're channeling. I feel like those movies don't exist as much uh, anymore. They're, they're referencing old franchises. Yeah, and I think your like your framing of Stranger Things is young adult, like really is like if you view it through that lens, like everything else slots into place. And especially if they're you're thinking of if they're channeling, you know, like the E.T. era of Spielberg in which go back and like, if you haven't watched that movie, like I, part of what defined movies like that was that they were a little traumatic. They felt a little dangerous to watch like they walked up to the i mean you know jaws itself established the pg-13 because they were like ah shit you know there's something between pg and r and stranger things like exist in that like you are you can emotionally connect the drama of these kids and growing up but then also you know there's a slasher villain around the corner or a monster and like that's just a really compelling mashup of of themes and you're right there there really isn't a whole lot else doing that because i think it it either goes one direction or the other it's going for the hard r you know it's going for like folks like myself who you know like we want to see the most extreme stuff possible or it's it's the other direction and like stranger things operates in this something that was like very popular in like the 80s especially and it's not just a spielberg thing it was just a hey these are movies for kids and kids can connect to them, but there's a harder edge to them, and that that stuff just doesn't it doesn't really exist as a as a as a concept. No. Anyway. I think mean, about the the best one of these I've seen lately is um. Did you ever see in the vast of night? The vast of night. Yeah, the Amazon. Yeah, I, yeah, there was an Amazon. That thing rocked tight summer. as a drum. Yeah, really sparse, yep. lo- low budget, but uses it to perfection. It's great. But like, I'm like, it's literally I'm counting on one hand things that exist in the sort of young adult uh, type type vein that like carry off some, being genuinely unsettling and spooky, but fundamentally not like terrifying or like sliding toward it's for kids or like we're gonna watch some people get fucking eviscerated. Um, and yeah, I, I think stranger things is a lot of fun and i would i would say it it has an outsized presence in in the culture but i don't think there's that many people saying this is like great art it is an enormously no. popular thing and things will be popular without being like necessarily that important or meaningful um and i think you know the, the fun we've had with it despite knowing a lot of this is shit 
that's that's where things like this end up. Um, and that's well, and that's I fine. Mean, and like Eddie on the roof playing a Metallica song, like is like the perfect encapsulation of like whatever, man. Like, is, is, aren't you having fun? Like, I am. Yeah. Thanks, Stranger Things. Like, and then, and then it's, but it still manages to. I, I still think that stuff doesn't work unless it lands. Like, you know, yes, the the end of this season is really long and drawn out, and like so many reunions. And yet, I'm still sitting there like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm so happy they're back. Oh, dude, like, again. and it does, they don't I'm even like, do. I'm just like, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty drunk at this point because it's two <laughs> and a half hours of like going to get more whiskey. It's like, well, better pour another tumbler of this. So you know, like, I'm feeling it by the end. But it's like it, it like it works like they got like they, they got me. I was like ah shit. Oh, okay, yeah. like this is so on the nose. They don't even. But, I don't even think they carry it off that well. But when they go back to Hop's old cabin, I'm just like, yeah. this is your old home, but Hop is. <laughs> and then they don't do, do the. Does the moment lamp check it well? No, they br- they rush over really fast. Hop just kind of shows up, and it's like I'm, I'm back, kid. And but I'm like like oh they're back together, eleven and Hop like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is like that is so young. Like that is like that that is right out of the playbook of yeah. that young adult soap opera uh, uh, stuff and and Jonathan starts shit talking Steve and I'm like I hope you die you <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna off him in the first so- episode Fucking, like, they're gonna have Will. Like, it was, like, you know, possessed by Vecna yep. and just gonna yep. fucking yep. get it's just gonna be like, uh, killed his own brother. Yep. Oh no, there's your emotional arc for season six. Steve awkwardly, like, being like he was a really good guy. And just, like, trying to, like, <laughs> so what's the decent interval here? Like, you got, like, so your brother eviscerates you while controlled by a mind monster. Uh, it's like, couple hours maybe like we try to get this thing going again <laughs> the same is the statute of limitations the same if you were already together before i don't know it feels like it changes <laughs> uh yeah so <laughs> that is that's stranger things season four i can't wait for season five i think they patrick there's an important context i've i've held back from mm-hmm. you yes i have been so checked out like just i hadn't followed this very much I was for some reason convinced this can be the final season. I think it was just when people talked mm-hmm. about two and a half hour finale. I was like, that's gotta be a series finale. Yeah. It's gotta be a series finale. Yeah. And like right. that entire episode, I'm like, man. Oh, you really thought this was it? Dude, I like it was like <laughs> until the last like third of that final episode where I'm like, they're not wrapping this up at all. This is <laughs> this is fucked. They're not. This is they're gonna do more. But now I'm I'm like I think they should have wrapped it up because I don't you you ripped Hawkins open and ordered a, open yeah, a I giant portal I to do, hell. I've, well, I mean that's and that's what I don't know. How do you establish like some of the weakest elements of this show are the times they spend in the upside down. Like it's fine again, but like it and there are moments there, but it's like it's boring to look at. Like it's it's. You get none of the social dynamics of being out in Hawkins, like more broadly. And so I just like, I don't know, what is the status quo at that point? That's what I mean. Is is it a Fury Road where like Hawkins is abandoned, but like, I don't know, Joyce has decided to stay behind and still sell some stuff over the phone? Like, I don't know. I don't know how they, they can't, I cannot conceive of a, a season that is just nonstop stuck in the upside down fighting CGI monsters. And so, 
in the heart of the show is like that there's a balance between those two worlds and that they come in and out of it. And so the, the end of that season, like doesn't really set up a world that I can imagine where they, that exists. And instead it's going to be all upside down all the time. And it's like, I'll watch it. But like, that seems, or we're in for a season of just nightmarish uh, takes about like, you know, this is really about, uh, how things like climate change and COVID get normalized, and everyone, everyone, like what people keep wondering, why are things going on in Hawkins like they always have? Well, have you looked at have you looked at the news, folks? Have you seen this clip from Don't Look Up? Yeah. Hey, small thing that I really appreciated in the endless uh uh epilogue was when Dustin got to tell Eddie's dad like what good of a guy he was. That was like, yeah. fuck, yeah. Again, this is, and there's actually one of them where, like, I, I think that actor is—he's not incredible. His range is limited, but he had just enough there that he was able to pull that scene. And the dad was really good. Oh too. yeah, that guy like, rolled uncle, but yeah, the, the, wasn't it uncle? The yeah. Un- yeah, uncle. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. Like, really, he he kind of carried it as as the actor. But like, I really appreciated that scene and that you got to have, like Eddie. It's not just that Eddie told Dustin. Like, look, I didn't run, but like there was someone out there. That's the only redemption he's going to get yeah. in, in in our reality. And I thought that was like a really nice moment between the two of them. Yeah, it, it, it was. Um, whenever I think about like issues of narrow range, I was thinking about um, actor from the 30s, like 30s and 40s, Joel McRae, who was sort of a famous sort of straight man uh, with like a, a, a straight man in a lot of comedies. Uh, but. You know, he was he was sort of asked uh, about being a one note actor, and he was like, "Well, I guess I am a one note actor, but I just happen to have found the right note." And mm-hmm. I think that's like there's there's a mm-hmm. place for for performers like that where it's like, look, if you can yeah. do the thing really amazingly in this narrow range, you can do a lot with a narrow range, uh, and mm-hmm. and they do. Like, uh, yeah, Gaten uh, Matarazzo has has this chemistry with like every member of the cast they put him with. Uh, and so like you get, he helps make Eddie work this well. Uh, he was integral yeah. to Steve, like coming back around as a, as a character everyone loved. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, like that, that stuff, that stuff totally worked. I'm, I'm apprehensive about season five. Uh, Cause it's going to be, sounds like they're a long way from producing it. Yeah. So I feel like they already let too much time go between these two seasons uh well my my understanding is that like they had hoped to shoot the seasons back to back they shot like the first season of this at the start of covid mm. covid essentially they lost almost a like year. a year yeah. like before they could get back um so you know it's it's now i think they're just writing the new season so i assume they'll shoot but that means they probably won't shoot till what next spring and then you know these shows are so sprawling and VFX heavy that like that's what summer 2024 before you're looking at the the next one. So yeah, I don't know. You know, let's uh, I'll watch it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not pessimistic. I'm just, I just don't know what to expect. And, but I guess that, you know, in some ways that's an interesting place to end up because the show always resets to a status quo at the end where it's like, ah, and, and the great evil was defeated time to go back to school uh and like that doesn't exist here and in some ways maybe that 
you know, it could go wrong, but it does at least set up a premise that is fundamentally different than than before. Yeah. Uh, so I think we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll, we'll do another one of these next time the the spirit moves us. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a waypoint after dark. Uh, you know, oh, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to go poke at Stranger Things uh, five when it comes out. Six, I think six. Wasn't this four? I think this is fun. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Stranger Things. So we can't yeah, do right. sex. You're right. You're right. Jesus Christ, we can't <laughs> do sex. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back when, when whenever that comes out. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for hanging with us. If you uh, if you watch Stranger Things season four, hope you enjoyed our conversation about it. If you didn't watch, I think we do. I, I just say to the audience, I would just say I think we do want to try and start doing a little more. Like we did the Severance yeah. one, we were a little behind on that. This, like, if you think of the gap between us severance coming out and us doing the pod and stranger things four coming out and us doing the pod we're getting closer to what normal podcasts do of timing it to the release we need to get screeners is what we need to do yeah so um but but yeah people have suggestions for things they'd like us to watch they think might line up with your tastes and ours uh yeah we want to do more stuff like this in, in the future especially especially in this feed Absolutely. And uh, as always, thanks so much for supporting us. And we'll be back with you soon uh, with another Waypoint Plus podcast. Peace. Peace.